Hey team, welcome to uh, the Two Towers podcast, a Middle Earth strategy battle game. I am your host, Albert. And uh, I'm Geordie. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking uh, about a little 500 point tournament that we've got coming up locally. Well, I'm going to say it's a bit bigger than little because uh, Ooh, that's true. this is the first tournament that we'll have attended in a little a year and a half, maybe two years. Who knows? In the land of COVID, time is a rubbery beast. Um, it certainly feels like it's been a long time. And um, what's been really lovely to see is uh, it's going to be, I think, 16 players? Yes. So for a Geelong local tourney... Um, for those of you who don't know, that's where we are. Um, for a Geelong local tourney, 16 is a pretty terrific turnout. This is this is legit. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great to see. I mean, I, I moved down to Geelong, what, like uh, midway through last year and kind of put feelers out to see what the, the local scene was like. And Geordie, you kind of immediately reached out and um, you've basically built um, a pretty good little um, scene down here in conjunction with the local gaming store, which is hosting the event, yeah. Throw the Dice. Yeah, we'll talk to, I'm sure we'll talk to Dickie later in the podcast in the tournament section, but but yeah, we, we started from the ground up, um, and I'd always wanted to build up a community down here, but uh, as soon as as soon as soon Dickie opened his doors, it was a good opportunity to just get people, and and lo and behold, if you, if you build it, they will come. We sort of had, just from the get-go, we had a good six, seven people join, mm. and it, it just went just went off, um, which is really good. And a really good group of, um, good group of players as well. Like everyone, there's no, um, there's no power gamers. Um, everyone's there to, um, you know, in the, in the spirit of the game and, you know, for the love of, um, all things Lord of the Rings. So, um, every time you get to, to throw some dice, um, the people that you're, you're playing with are, are genuinely great people. So, which is great to see. Yeah, I think that's true of essentially all the Lord of the Rings community that I've met, which is really, really cool. But uh, yeah, definitely here as well. Awesome. So uh, we might start by jumping in and talking um, a little bit about the tournament. We won't go into too much detail, but it is a 500-point tournament, one-day event uh, with three rounds. Um, and as I said, 16 players. We'll go into the lists uh, in a little bit more detail in the, the next segment. But before we do that, maybe uh, if we just give a little bit of an intro of ourselves and, and what this podcast is going to be all about. Yeah, so we'll, we'll put that tournament on the back burner for now. We'll just talk about, about us for a second, what we're, what we're looking to do here. So what this this type of podcast is looking to achieve it's sort of in the footfalls of of the great harry parker himself the the uh battle games in middle earth or the Entmood podcast as you may may know him um as it's just sort of like a little prelude then tournament run through and then sort of a little recap about how it goes but with with something of a twist yeah, so, I mean, both Geordie and I are very much uh, focused on the, the hobby aspect, not just um, getting down and, and throwing dice and, and getting competitive, although Geordie, you know, Geordie loves, loves to talk. Oh, uh, we'll, be, we'll be talking competitive. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but there, there will be a definite um, focus on the hobby side of things as well in terms of, you know, what the theme of the list is, not just how competitive... 
uh, or how it plays on the table. So um, there'll be uh, discussions about Geordie and my army going into the tournaments um, and then, uh, you know, a focus when we're interviewing people uh, to try and talk about what their ideas are behind their, their lists, not just competitively, but also theme or, you know, talking about the paint jobs or conversions or whatever. Yeah, and I think I think the theme, I, I like that you touched on that because I think that's the big thing. When I conceptualize an army, when I, when I get excited about an army and, I, and I, you know, we make it happen, I'll start with an idea. It's never just like, oh, I'm going to play Gondor at this tournament. It's, oh, I'm going to play, you know, like the, the garrison of like Karen Dross or something and just like heavily modify shields or something along those lines and really give it a story, give it like a, a little backbone that it can stand on. Yeah, because I think so much of it is, uh, and so much of the the joy of the game is that shared narrative, that shared story. Yeah, so yeah. when you're when you're going to the tournament and you've spent all of this time converting and painting up um, this army, that moment where you get to throw it down on the table um, and actually show it off and um, talk to people about their armies and and have that conversation, like that's a really lovely um, lovely kind of crossover point, and it's it's probably my favourite aspect of of. Of the hobby is when you get that kind of conversation rolling. I mean, a lot of the time when you're preparing the the army, it's like a real solo adventure, right? Yeah. Like you're in your room painting or whatever, and you're coming up with these ideas. And yeah, you might be like sharing photos with mates or whatever with progress, but it's not until you get to that tournament that it then becomes like a real social. Yeah, aspect. and that's and and the people at the tournaments like know what goes into it. They they can appreciate like the time spent and, and, and the effort put into like converting, you know, if they see an orc, you know, a mortal orc, but just it's way different. They know what's happened there. Like they know you've put some, some TLC into that. And that's just like a really cool, really gratifying moment, I guess. Um, and it's just, there's, there's just no better feeling than plonking that down on the table and having a bunch of fellow hobbyists just come have a gander. And sharing, you know, sharing each other's uh, like stories that we've all built. So I think that that probably gives people a little bit more of an idea in terms of what the the um, the focus of the podcast is. Um, so do we want to jump into talking about the armies? Let's do it. A new power is rising. And its hobbying is at hand. So welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Before we uh, get into the specifics of the armies uh, on show here, uh, where we describe them to you in the aural space. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be saying verbally in laborious detail what's going on here, but... But if you this want is to, a visual medium, right? That's right. That's right. If you want to actually um, check out the armies that, that we're discussing, um, we will have a link in the the show notes to our Instagram account where we will be um, doing photos of of the armies for Geordie and I, and also um, photos for the the tournament as well, just like kind of key shots from throughout the day. Yeah. Any good snaps of the of the armies fighting, we'll we'll endeavour to put up, and of course. 
we'll hopefully get a snap of every army that's uh, that's put up. Mm. Uh, but uh, if you want to take us away first, Geordie, with your army. Well, I was also going to say we'll we'll chuck up the um, you know, the nitty gritty list, right? Like we're going to be quite somewhat vague in what we say in our list because. You know, point for point, that's not what we're here for. Like, if you want to see exactly the loadout of spears, shields, and bows and such, we'll chuck that under our photos. But here we'll be quite vague. Yeah. Hopefully that's all right. And, of course, shoot us DMs and we'll, we'll ideally, you know, hopefully hit you back up. Yeah, well. I'll, I'll be happy to share with you my overpowered um, <laughs> net list. <laughs> I guess that's a good point to bring up is that well, well, most of the time I think we'll be trying. There is definitely an element in, in putting the hobby first at where we're going to have like underpowered lists. So if you, if you look at it and go, oh, why are you bringing you know, that instead of the Witch King who's clearly better? It's, it's we've put the hobby first and we've, we've put our story ahead of the army. Yeah, yeah. Suboptimal choices are what I'm all about because then when I inevitably <laughs> lose, I have a reason. I've, uh, you know, I didn't go the OP list, you know. It you've, was, got to, you've got to have that backup. Absolutely. Plausible deniability. That's <laughs> it. Uh, but let's jump into uh, your Corsair list, Jordy. Talk, talk us through it. So just to give you like a very broad overview, it's got Dalamir. He's brought along two bosun for that sweet banner effect. Mm. We've allied in the Serpent Horde, but we've brought Raza, the Serpent's Fang. He's brought one raider, and then the rest of the army comp is give or take 30 Corsairs uh, with a mix and mash of equipment. I think Corsairs are just one of the stronger natural lists. I, I say natural, just excluding legendary legions. This list is actually a bit of an oldie, um, or at least part of it. So... It's going a little while back. I designed a list around the Golden King of Abrakan. Um, and so it was like the Golden King, a bunch of fatties, of course, because you do. Um, and what I thought would be really cool is, you know, the Golden King's got something of a militia, but he's got money, right? So what do people with money do in times of war? Well, they hire out mercenaries. So we've got Dalamir here with a big old bag of money in his hand. And why is that? Because he's a mercenary underneath the Golden King of Abrakan. So I played off of that sort of idea of what these guys are. So as you'll see in the photos, if you guys want to go have a sass, their pants are this sort of golden brown. Obviously, that mercenaries don't just wear gold. That's not the, that's not the idea. But, you know, we're, we're here to tell a story. Um, and all the, or at least most of the sort of worn metal areas i've just painted as this sort of like quite overtly bright vibrant like non-metallic metal so the way that i the, the way that i'm sort of picturing that these guys have sort of developed their little system and um as funny or silly as it is that they've gone into battle with their gold on so that they're fighting to keep you know their stash mm. so each warrior has sort of like got given his little pittance of of gold and he has to fight for it. You know, he's got it on him in the battle and he's fighting for it. So we've got that across the whole list that, that these guys are, yeah, just sort of a bunch of mercs. Um, and I'm still, I'm still following that, that thought pattern that they're fighting underneath the Golden King. In this particular list, of course, it's just them. So he's obviously sent them, you know, gallivanting, 
As but, any good king would. Of course, you know, you don't do, you don't get your hands dirty yourself. No, no. You send the pirates to do it. Exactly. So they're off to burn the fiefdoms, have a merry old time. Um, and of course they've brought highly trained, I guess, assassin-esque fella with him. Um, they've got a bit of martial prowess to, to sort of keep them in line potentially, or as just sort of a, you know, a, a bit of an ally. Um, so Raz has just come along for the ride. The, the, my sort of headcanon, and this is going quite far, but I mean, hopefully you guys are here for that. <laughs> um, my sort of headcanon is that, you know, Suladan the Golden King, they're not on like great terms. So Interesting. what Suladan's doing is sending like a little informant, I guess, alongside the Golden King sort of machinations. And he sort of like sent Raza to sort of keep keep eyes on what's going on and see if anything too nefarious is, is, is happening. Um, I see, I see Suladan as like quite devout to Sauron, but I see the Golden King as sort of his own entity and he's like trying to make his own sort of, not godhood status, but you know, the equivalent with money. Breakaway, the breakaway. Yeah. So the list I've sort of, I've maxed out the bows, um, including a couple arbalesters. So I've got three arbalesters and six bows. I've given generally a lot of spears in there, um, and I've got the four reavers just because those boys absolutely chew up. They're very handy in a tight spot, that's for sure. <laughs> well, okay. So f- the first question I have is uh, around the basing that you've gone with for these guys. Talk us through it for the listeners at home. Yeah. So this is, I want to say this is the classic Corsair base where. You've got that painted grain wood. So were this to have a sort of a display board associated with it, you you know, you would have a big old um I really like the ships that they used in The Lord of the Rings in the movies. I know you only see them for like a split second, but they have that Eastern esque sort of vibe that they have those like quite it's a distinct silhouette, right? Distinct. Like the, that was, like that the, was it. Like the, the sail structure is um, definitely... I mean, that's the thing that I love about the films, right? Is that it's it's only shown for like, what, a few seconds? All of two seconds, right? yeah. But it immediately you recognise the iconography, um, its real world context... Um, and, um, and, and like the, obviously the, the hours of design that went into Mm, that, like two seconds, right? Like all of the Alan Lee sketches and then the, the Weta team doing the 3D, like I, I'm like, I totally love, um, that, that layer of depth. Yeah. So yeah, I've got that sort of like classic wood grain were it to have like a display board. I'd have that, that Eastern sort of looking ship, um, floating along. Um, so it was just sort of created just by like, you know, applying the paint in a line and then decreasing the area that you, you cover and just doing that again and again on, on repeat. Yeah. It's a very, um, high contrast style, which obviously also ties in with your general painting style. Um, but it really grounds the miniatures. Like it makes them, um, feel like they are each part of like a mini diorama which is really lovely Mm. like sometimes Mm. you see basing that kind of doesn't quite fit the painting style or um almost detracts from the 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 model and these just feel like they're really um like well balanced which is great to see Um, i really also love the the pops of blue that you've got through there 
Um, what was the thinking in terms of that? Because you were talking um, uh, to me earlier. I'm not sure if it was uh, while we were recording or, or <laughs> <laughs> off, the dangers of recording. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about that that kind of the the golden kind of pants that they've got um, on a lot of them, and it's kind of, it's there's a nice contrast between those blues and those golds. All right, yeah. So so with these guys being underlings of the of the golden king or paid paid servant so what i i've really drilled into that theme with their just color choice um so the pants that they're wearing themselves are this like brownish gold um to so sort of allude to that that luster for for gold and the fact that they're just like quite literally putting their lives on the line just just for a bit of dosh what the the blue pops is just that i think i think you sort of allude, said it before the that it's like this high contrast sort of paint style um, which works really, really well. But I think what makes that work even better is to have something that the colors can pivot off of. So you've got that, that gold, then it goes into this white, and then it goes into that brown, which is... And the, the, the bases themselves are also like brown. So it's got this sort of brown chromatic thing going on, which does look good on its face, but there's this dash of teal, and hopefully there's... A, a photo or two that shows this on each of the models. Mm. So it's generally their sash um, or there's areas where it's their like throwing dagger um, sheath or I think, you know, a couple that's on their like on their wrists as, as like cuffs or something like that. You know, it's, it's thrown in there in different spots because different models. Um, that teal lets the, the browns all bounce off of each other whilst breaking it apart. Just going off sort of colour theory, the teal and the yellow like bounce off each other just naturally quite well. But then it's also the blue is really vibrant as well, whereas most of the other golds or or whites are quite muted. Um, so you've just got this double aspect of of contrast going on. Yeah, I think it works. It works really well. Um, whilst we're talking about the aesthetic... Um, I know we've talked about this in the past, but uh, I like that you've added some, uh, shall we say, more realistic shields um, <laughs> to these guys. Not the not the tiny little bucklers that uh, come with the standard model. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the I, I actually I actually quite rate the Corsair models overall. Definitely some flaws, but that's all the early plastics. One of the things that I cannot get over is the little tiny, teeny baby bucklers that all the, all the guys with swords are equipped with. And I understand that like a, a buckler is a real thing and at a certain point in time, like maybe they would have used that, but, but no, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so I, yeah, I had to cut those guys off, taken some Rohan shields, cut off the insignia, not that you can see it, but I, to me, I think that's just an important part of it. Um, I flipped the shields around so that the, the wood grain is showing and then just sort of painted that bit in just because, you know, they're surrounded by wood. What's, a, you know, an easier way to just sort of buckle up is to just chuck a, a slab of wood on. Um, and a couple others, I just sort of had bits laying around. So they've got, and that's for the genuine swordsman, they've just got like a bit of a sturdier steel bit on the outside, but it's, essentially the same effect they've just got this wood grain shield chucked in i like that you you brought up the fact that you you shaved off the rohan insignia even though most people wouldn't uh 
wouldn't notice or you know like especially the guys with the shields on their backs like you can get away with it yeah it's but entirely it's, covered it's yeah. the fact that you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> i couldn't live with myself and i totally appreciate that because that's exactly how i hobby too like it's like it's not just getting it done it's like getting it done right if there, was, so, if there was a horse head on the back of one of my pirate shield nah nah he's, he's off he's it, off the team feel wrong Feel wrong, um, and just briefly talk us talk us through your reavers as well, because obviously there's no official model for them. So, what was your approach in terms of how you, how you did those? Yeah, I mean, luckily, GW and the and the rules writers are all quite aware that that's the case, and even in the even in the um, army book, it's just an actual conversion, which is terrific. I, I like um, opening it up to the to the community to to do stuff like this. The reavers, nice and easy. Um, I think a lot of us might have those Uruk siege uh, troops laying around because unfortunately outside of like maybe scenario play, they kind of don't fit anywhere or do anything. Unless you're like, you know, going the legendary legion and ruining someone's day. Oh yes, bringing the bomb, the old ballista bomb combo. <laughs> um, but luckily, one of the only models in the game with a left-handed sword gave that a snip put it onto the pirates instead of their little buckler arm thing. Um, and I think it I think it looks really quite good. It's got this, you know, obviously the Reavers are meant to look pretty crazy and they've just got these two shields flying about, but I like that one of them is this, like, short, sharp machete and then the other's just, like, this big cutlass yeah. type thing. Yeah. It's that thing of the the elegant simplicity, right? Like, the simplest answer is all often the most correct. Yeah, right? and so it's 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 one of those conversions where on the tabletop it's really clear and easy to s distinguish who's who, so check in terms of like you know playability, um, but it also looks really cool. the The other one that I've seen, or the other one that I've um, done, I've done a couple of um, commissions in the past with feral Uruks. Mm. That's another cool one um, because they kind of have the the two. They got the dagger and the the sword. Uh, option and you know it's pretty easy to um, do the old head swap a Rooney um, and feral Oryx never see the table anyway so uh, you know it's a, uh, at least one way of getting them on the table yeah, as well and, and I've seen those I've seen a ton of pictures of those conversions and they are they are next level like they are they are 10 out of 10 if I was to to do my Reavers again I would definitely be looking at something like that because because you've got these like you know, the rest of the army, they're all in clothes and they're all looking pretty schmick. And then you've got these guys who are just like stark naked with with two swords swinging about. Hopefully we can chuck that photo like in amongst all our ones. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, they just look terrific. Um, it's it's like the perfect crossover model for it. And yeah, it, it definitely definitely works works really well. Um, I converted some up for, uh, I think, Mr. Sean Rosado up in uh, Brisbane. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, he went he went the Power Gamer option and wanted axes on all of them. Oh, no. um, so, you know, because... Is that even allowed anymore? <laughs> I believe you've got to pay a point, okay. but it is still legal. Um, Strength 4, 2 attacks, plus 1 to wound. Not bad. Love Not it. Bad. Love it. Love it. Anyway... Um, that's awesome. Is there anything else that you want to talk about, um, with the army in terms of, um, your kind of general tactics or what you, what you like, like your chances, uh, matching up against or something that you really don't want to face on, on the other side of the table? Well, there is, there's one more like teeny tiny hobby thing that I want to throw in. Um, so 
Dalamir and Raza both share a bit of a special rule, Bane of Kings. Now that gives them essentially re-roll all to wounds. The idea is it's just like mega poison. Now on the tips of Raza's spear, I'll just show Albert IRL, and then on Dalamir's sword, I've just painted this sort of deep, dark purple and then chucked a few layers of glaze over it with, you know, with a bit of highlighting in the middle to just sort of give that effect that, you know, these guys have... You know, they've prepped, they've chucked, like... Um, in my head, it's, like, Drake Venom. Mm. Um, they've chucked, like, some Drake Venom on the on the tips of their weapons, and when they go into battle, yeah, just, like, one little nick from that from that spear or one little slice from Delamere's sword, and, and, you're, and you're gone. Which is really the case uh, that I found in our <laughs> um, test match that we played the other week where... Those two um, bad boys teamed up to just basically surgically remove all of my fun toys uh, in, yep. you know, turn after yep. turn. I think in, in maybe consecutive turns, though there might have been some movement in the middle. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, that's a good segue into, into the army and what it does. It's, it does love surgically removing models with that pair of killers. Mm. Um, they're each three attack, strength four, re-rolling everything's to wound. And unlike, you know, where, where you've got like, you know, Aragorn LSR on horse as your, as your, you know, your big hit piece, these guys are both actually on small bases. Mm. They don't need to be on a horse to be lethal. I mean, they can't take a horse if, you, if they could, Jesus Christ. Um, they don't need to be on a horse to be lethal. So they can actually get into areas that others couldn't, or they can two for one mm. mounted heroes where others can't. Mm. And I think that's what I've generally tried to lean into. Um, not that they're super expensive models, but it's like about 160 points worth of, of heroes. Um, mm. So I've sort of lent into the fact that I want to get these two together against a single enemy, chop it down in a turn, rinse and repeat for all the heroes that they have. Um, and failing that, they are... Absolutely lethal against infantry. You will very rarely see a turn where Dalamir just doesn't one v one the person he's fighting. Like mm. if you if you whiff the dual roll, that's one thing, but you do not, you never whiff the wound roll because you've just got so many dice that you're chucking on the on the defense or the offense. Whereas a cav hero, like if you charge an Aragorn, there is a chance he whiffs. Yeah. If he's charging you, no, not really. Eight dice to kill, but on the defense, Aragorn's got three, and that's you know, that can fail. Um, and so there's just body after body to sort of get in between. A lot of the models have shields so that I can sort of fight down in a section whilst another section sort of snowballs, which is what Corsairs tend to want to do with their army special rule, um, backstabbers. So I'll fight with one section shielding while another section's got three different traps and Guess what? I'm killing models there whilst my midsections may be losing half the models there, but with their high fight value, maybe holding. Yeah. Um, and of course, I've got the two bosun as well, which aren't slouches in combat. This is, this is um, I don't know, maybe maybe a misconception or something, but people sort of scoff at like fight four heroes, and Raz is sort of a good example. He with his three attacks, just doesn't lose combat. And the bosuns are kind of the same. They've got two attacks built in. They have their own banner because they're very good. <laughs> um, 
So you don't actually tend to lose that many fights, even against fight four and fight five troops. Mm. And look, they're still two attacks at strength four. They'll still pack a punch on the on the yeah. They do some work. on the swing. Yeah, they do some work for sure. Awesome. So, um, is there any particular matchup that uh, you are not looking forward to, or any particular matchup that you think you'll particularly excel at, given? given uh, what you've just gone through in terms of the over- overall strategy? Yeah, good question. It is it is difficult because I actually think pirates cover a lot of bases. Mm, yeah. They've got throwing daggers as a semi-counter to terror and just sort of low defense armies. Plus you've got the reavers as well. Plus you've got the reavers They can surgically too. kind of go in and, and negate that terror if it's not army-wide. Um, I've got quite good shooting with, I think, a total of 12 ranged weapons, I think it ends up being couple of which have mine. But, um, and I do have good numbers, so it's not like a horde army on its own would scare me too much. I do think one of the things that this list wouldn't want to fight is one of those dedicated shooting armies. So I'm thinking Athelian Rangers, though I know they recently got nerfed, so hopefully not. I think Mirkwood Rangers is not ideal. And then I think like anything like with a sort of siege weapon at its back. Like I think the pirates want to choose the engagement. And I think any dedicated shooting hampers that. Mm. Um, and then the other list that I don't think pirates straight up enjoy tends to be like elves, just because they get that fight five and you set all your traps in all the right places and they can just shield and show you that six and you, you sort of can't capitulate where you need to. Mm. And then you'll, you will still be capitulating in the middle, which always happens, but that's sort of part of the plan normally. But... If you can't sort of capitalize on that and then sort of doubling down on the elves, it's the, the fact that Raza and Delamere are under fight, well, a, a fight five and fight four. So if my two heavy hitters just sort of lose an elven roll off or something along those lines, yeah. Unless Raza's getting in on his designated target. Well, that's, that's a good point to bring up because Raza, um, his special rule is essentially, so he's fight four base, but he's fight six against his chosen target which you write down secretly before the game so your opponent won't know what's really cool is his sort of ability scales down really well Mm. so what i mean by that is like you know his ability does more at 500 points than it does at you know 750 in a thousand just by virtue of the fact that there's less heroes to choose from by virtue of the fact that because there's less heroes on board and they tend to have to gravitate towards all their troops He's going to be more accessible. Like, in 500 points, Aragorn's got to cover everyone. At 750 and 800, Aragorn might be on the other side of the field commanding 20 elves while Raza's stuck on one side fighting the other 20. So, Raza's like a bit of an overperformer here. Yeah, um, he's definitely punching above his weight at the lower end of the point scale, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, I think he's, he's sort of my key for those big one-man armies like Elendil or Azog or something like that. Not that he can take it on on his own, but he's just like this hyper-efficient sort of points level of sort of points cost compared to theirs, and yet he almost goes toe-to-toe. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that nicely rounds out the army. Um, as I said, we'll definitely have some pictures up of it so all of you listeners can uh, take a look and, and see the beautiful paint jobs that um, Geordie has done. Yeah, and um, 
with my army all covered, what uh, what have we got going on on your side, Albert? So we've got a little, uh, an old labour of love of mine. In the lead up to the tournament, I was moving house. So it was kind of, got to pick something that is ready to go straight from the box, uh, which in this case is a little 500 point Angmar list. Um, so the idea with the list, uh, the starting point for the list is I didn't want it to be a standard Witch King list. Yeah, we've seen the Witch King a hundred times, yeah. And look, I love playing the Witch King, he's fantastic, he, he has so much versatility, he has all the answers, and so I wanted to, you know, remove that from play very early on, mm. and look at more of a kind of Angmar after the Witch King's gone, uh, and who's who's still there? So um, it's led by Birder, um, and he is leading a, a pretty substantial uh, little pack of orcs. Um, and he has teamed up with the big mum herself, the Wag chieftain. Um, now she's leading a little kind of mobile war, war band of. Um, a few warg riders, and then the list is rounded out by two Barrow Whites coming straight out of Barry White Town <laughs> um, with three spectres and, you know, a, a handful more orcs as well. So the, the idea of the list is kind of two big threats uh, mm. in the form of the uh, Birder and, and the Wag Chieftain. The chief, yep. And then two... Um, uh, kind of negating uh, pieces with the, the Paralyze coming out of those Barrow Whites, uh, which also then basically makes everyone um, in that, uh, that bubble uh, with terror for all the Orcs and the Wild Riders as well. I really like the theme, actually, because, you know, for the longest time, the Witch King was fighting the war like against Gondor for like several yeah. hundred years after Angmar's still like been lingering like someone's got to have taken charge exactly exactly and um you know it's it's a fun uh it's a fun take on like if you don't have all of the answers in one model how can you kind of spread that out across yep. the board right yep. so the crowd control that you get from the uh, the terror bubbles um that the barrow whites provide is really kind of critical to making sure that the orcs are punching um well above their weight um, and I just love the, the dual threat, you know, like Birdo is such a points efficient leader in terms of what he brings to the table for the points that he's at. Um, any monster with might, I think is always a, um, is always a good shout. And, um, I just love the wild wild chieftain. It's gotta be one of my favorite models. Um, not only just like the aesthetic of, yeah, the, yeah. of the model itself, but also the profile is this awesome, like, you know, glass cannon hits like a truck um, and can, you know, really be a scary piece um, if it gets into, you know, the, the right position. Well, it's, it's, it's one of the truly unique profiles in the game, right? Like mm. any 10-inch any hero tends to have, it's be on a horse. So they have knockdowns and they have all these other buffs but the wild wild chieftain sort of stands alone yeah it's an infantry model but what's interesting as well is like you tag team it with birder and um the the wild chieftain's uh strength six right so um birder can hurl a model um into her combat 
right? Everyone else gets knocked down and she stays standing. Now, she's defense five, so you don't want to do it too many times because <laughs> you, you're, you're running running the risk of There's an uh, actual shot at wounding. friendly fire there. But but it's like, it's those kind of um, tactics that, you know, can catch an opponent off guard and actually really turn, like, you know, they, they go from, oh, sweet, I can one-shot this big threat to, oh, shit, now... To my Aragorn's on his ass. Exactly. That's exactly. actually... Literally, until you've said that, that's something that I've never thought about because that hurl special rule often doesn't come up. But no, that's the right. The knockdown is strength six and, or sorry, below strength six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a really interesting little play, um, and it's one that I want to like try and play around with, where um, you can, because of the mobility of the Wild Chieftain, you can get her into a seemingly bad spot. And I've got good experience of getting her into bad spots. <laughs> so I'm hoping that I can do it in a way that's actually set up for that kind of trap where Birda is coming to her rescue and, um, you know, doing that hurl and um, catching off guard. Mm, that's brilliant because a lot of the times, or maybe not a lot of the times, if you're if you're fighting a Wild Wild Chieftain, the, the, the idea, immediate idea you would get would be to strike. But then... Birdo comes in with a heroic combat and a heroic hurl, mm. chucks you over, knocks you down. The strike no longer matters. Like, yep. you've just sort of wasted a point of might. Yep. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, we're talking a lot about min-maxing here, but um, let's go back to the, the sort of paint job that you've Yeah, we haven't even talked away. about that yet. <laughs> yeah. So, this, this was a, a project uh, that I started just before uh, lockdown hit. I actually, I think I just finished it off just before lockdown hit. And it's kind of part of my obsession with not having repeat poses. I have this like mm. this vendetta against repeat poses, especially for things like orcs where you're fielding a heap of them, right? So this started as um, a project where I was like, okay, I don't want a single repeat pose. So I'm going to convert up a whole bunch of the old plastic um, orcs. And I've mixed in kind of old... Uh, uh, historical figures and bits from wild riders and all kinds of different um, pieces and then also mixed in the, the fantastic metal orcs oh yeah um, i can because I, I can definitely see the metal boys they're fantastic. Out. no offense to your to the rest of you guys they look terrific you can see the metal boys oh, out. every every everywhere like you know they just stand out they, they have um so much more character than the, yeah that's it than the the um the plastic sculpts can ever have but it was about trying to make this um as much as possible um you know a unique horde um and mm. then i i think also this was the first army that i'd um use contrast paints on so it was a it was kind of trying to test out how I could, um, you know, effectively speed paint at the time. It, it was like, <laughs> yep. it started at 36 and then it would have been, because of the metal orcs, it would have blown out to like 46, maybe clo close to 50 when you factor in like captains and banners. Yeah, and that yeah, kind of thing. like a solid number. Like that's a, lot of, that's a lot of models to paint. And for someone like me who generally um, shies away from batch painting um, and, you know, like I like to take my time on things, this was like a challenge for myself to go, okay, I'm going to choose a pretty simple, um, you know, like the, the snake bite leather and um, the black and just jam off that. Um, and, and at the time I wasn't really thinking 
thinking um, this is going to be specifically Angmar. It was kind of what, what would be a pretty general um, color um, palette that could be used for Angmar or for Mordor or even mix in with um, Isengard as well. So it's kind of towing those, those three middle lines. Having done it, like it's a learning experience. I actually really want to go back and do like a really Angmar specific mm. um, uh, project um, down the line where it'll be much more kind of spooky boy orcs um, and, and more kind of disheveled feral orcs as opposed to um, the more kind of ordered um, orcs in, in Mordor that you see. Well, you, you say a little more spooky, but these guys have a nice, um, and I know the skin tones are varying, but there's this nice blue that keeps popping up just across most of the orcs. And the ones that aren't are this like nice little sort of gross little green. Yeah, contrast again, hey? Yeah, yeah. Like, the, the, again, it was like, um, I think it was the, oh, I can't remember, the Space Wolf Grey or something. Yeah, uh, that, that does yeah, the, that the, blue, the blue skin, which is really great. Like, it, it immediately gives you a pretty effective kind of skin tone. So, um, like, I think there's definitely limitations with what contrast can and can't do. Um, but it was a really interesting project to kind of learn them as as a tool in how to um, you know get get things painted on the table quickly. So no, but that's really cool. Um, you guys will see. You guys will see my army. I don't paint with inks and I don't paint with contrast. But that is an interesting thing that you've sort of like gone down the route of. Let's see what happens. Yeah, especially putting like I'm I'm one like a lot of the time I will. I'll be happy in my little comfort zone and my comfort zone is kind of painting three or four models at a time. Like that's, that's what I consider batch painting <laughs> and, um, and kind of, um, taking the time to, uh, you know, layer them up, wash them and then, you know, build that contrast up sequentially. And so this was like, I was painting in batches of 10 and it was like, it was a Damn. real slog, right? It was a real slog, but, um, it was, um, it was really interesting to um, just figure out that efficiency and how you actually kind of get them all done. And then kind of contrast that with like the, the, the Barrow Whites and the, the hero pieces where I spend a lot more time in trying to kind of build up the character of, of those pieces. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to allude to those. They, they definitely fit in and you can tell that they're the same. But we've got this whole swath of spirits. Do you want to take me through those? Yeah, absolutely. So the two Barrowites are just kind of standard, um, the, the GW um, range. And they're all, again, this was actually, having said that, this is, um, I was again, uh, when I got to these guys, I was playing around with contrast paints, but um, much less uh, in the traditional sense of you do the light prime and then you whack on the contrast and then you're done yep, kind of thing. Yep. This was um, kind of using the contrasts as um, successive glazes to try and build up um, oh, kind yeah. of subtle differences in the, the cloth um, coloration, but they are that kind of traditional blue ghosty boy um, color tone and they kind of, um, as much as um, like 
popping aesthetically, but also making sure that when I'm playing a game, <laughs> they stand out enough for me to be positioning them correctly. For you and your opponent, <laughs> yeah, you need to know exactly where those barrow whites are. That's it. That's it. And so I took the same, uh, kind of a similar approach with the, the Dead Marsh Spectres. Um, but, uh, you know, as the, as, as Jeremy from the Green Dragon points out many, many times, you know, the, the Dead Marshes are nowhere near Angmar. Um, and so I, I went online and I bought some of the, uh, the, the specters from, I think it's Hammerin Minis, which is like a, yep. like a, a single guy casting, um, you know, metal models, I think maybe in the Ukraine or maybe somewhere in Greece. I can't remember. Um, but he does amazing um, sculpts. Um, they're all hand sculpted and uh, at least they were when I bought these guys. Um, and they're actually kind of uh, much more um, aesthetically in line with the GW Arnor range. So they're the specters of the region in which they're from. So there's there's yeah. a warrior yeah. and there's a ranger uh, model. They're brilliant and legally distinct, I'm sure. But they encapsulate sort of the two profiles that Arnor in our game actually has. They've got this warrior of Arnor looking dude and they've got this ranger of Arnor looking dude. It's yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, no, they're, they're fantastic models and um, they were just such a joy to paint up. You know, they really, um, you, know, you know when you paint a model and it's just, um, you know, you don't want to put it down yeah, because yeah, it's so yeah. enjoyable. Yeah. Um, the detail on it, it's like the thing with some of the old models and it's kind of the same for the courses, like some of the details are a little bit soft and, you know, mm. it's kind of worn a little bit. These guys, because they're, they're metal, they've just got that perfect amount of detail where you can push the contrast in the kind of the, the important areas and then the model does the rest. Yeah. Like, you know, it's carrying so much of, um, of the paint job oh, itself. 100%. Like, like, as much as you can create texture or you can create, like, shading and shadow and all that sort of stuff, a model that has it built onto it, oh, my God, it just blows everything else out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, it, it's doing 90% of the work for you. Yeah. It's perfect. So we've touched on everyone, but we haven't touched on the big baddie himself. Do you want to take me through Birder? Yeah, sure. Uh, in terms of his paint scheme or in terms of uh, what he's doing on the table? Well, let's go with the paint scheme first and that'll segue straight into the next bit. So the paint, I remember painting Birder and like it, it, that was another model that I found incredibly um like it was, it was a really enjoyable process to paint. That um, he's got the right again. He's got the right amount of detail on him. That mm. everything is kind of distinct, and you um, you can build up a lot of texture um, and um, detail on him because he has a whole bunch of different material. You know, he's got the fur, the yep. leather, the spiky bits. You, he's got a bit of skin. Lots. You know, there's a lot going on, but it's well balanced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think I only ended up spending like, I don't know, it was two painting sessions. They were pretty long painting sessions. But for me, again, like that's a really um, fast paint for um, a hero model. And I think it was because I was coming off the back of speed painting the orcs. I'd really kind of got oh, my, yeah. like my, my muscle memory was really singing at that point. And so I was, my brush control was right on point. So well uh, uh, sorry to interject, but like batch painting the orcs, you know that's that's gross. That's the that's the gruel. 
you've just come across like this this sirloin steak here. Like this is <laughs> this is a real treat. <laughs> yeah, and it was. It was like a real reward after getting through um, all those orcs. And it was really, um, yeah. It, it it just it, it came together um, really really easily. And I, I remember posting up like a. Um, a progress pick um, online and it was like, you know, oh, just um, speed painted this birder and it was like, yeah, sure, whatever, mate. Like that's, <laughs> and it was like, you know, it, it was genuinely, um, you know, it was, it was fast for me and I'm usually, um, you know, pretty slow, slow painter. So it was nice to see him to come together um, and um, yeah, look, I love, I love what he does on the table because um, for me, I, there's, there's so many different points to Berta, but I think fundamentally um, he is a monster on a tiny base. Yeah, the, the, the cave trolls and, of course, their, their big chief, the hill troll, there's, there's just something that they can get to bits where a Mordor troll just can't dream of. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, like you talked about it in your list, and obviously it's... it's um, even more so with the the two uh, 25 mil bases of Dalamir and and Raza like they can just weave through the lines right it's still um, a, it's still a really good parallel though yeah uh, like you know his his ability to um, you know get that barge off or heroic combat and then do that hurl like he can position himself where he needs to go um, and it's just making sure that he's not getting kind of too bogged down um, and and um, is able to actually maneuver and kill what he needs to kill. Because essentially, you know, he's got the strike as well as um, the Wag Chieftain, um, but he he's much more reliable in yeah. that fight. Yeah. You know, like the the Wild Wag Chieftain um, is a little little bit more swingy in terms of mm-hmm. um, when she goes into um, those combats. And you've got to be much more kind of considered, I think, when you when you throw her out because she can, uh, she can go down a little bit easier. Well, this um, is good. We've already started talking about the, the sort of combat prowess. What's the idea of the army? Um, I mean, we've already talked about the Birda and mm, Chief interactions, mm. but what about the rest? What's, what's going on here? Well, look, basically... Um, it's all about uh, isolating the enemy heroes, paralyzing them down, and then munching them for breakfast. Yes, that's yep. it's it's a pretty like it's a pretty simple um, approach. And then the orcs are just there to try and peel, um, tag off, hold space, and um, cause terror. So um, unless I come up against any corsair reavers. Um, <laughs> They're pretty good at um, uh, at that role of um, kind of aggressive defense, so to speak. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the orcs are really there to hold up space and make sure that the big hitters can get into um, the right space. The other thing that I absolutely love about the list, uh, and yeah, it depends on who I'm coming up against, but the specters and the shenanigans that go on with them in terms of being able to do their fell light to pull models out. Yeah, and this is something we came across in our little test game, but the the Spectres without a Harbinger, there is a noticeable difference. Yeah, big time. And look, you know, there's a reason why the optimal choice is to go with the Witch King. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, even at um, Courage 3, like your Courage was rolling very hot that game. Oh, all sixes uh, and fours, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, um, when when they do get that Fell Light yes. off, 
it does open up so many options, especially um, pairing them up with the, the fast-moving WAG Chieftain and the WAG Riders um, in terms of being able to slingshot um, into, um, you know, heroic combat into a flank. Um, I think the thing that I'm still uh, grappling with with the list is the timing of those kind of moves yep. Yep. Um, and not kind of um, getting them into a position where they're overexposed and undersupported. Yeah. Not taking that first bit of bait, you see. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So this list is very much, um, uh, because it, it uh, has a distinct lack of might, um, it kind of it gets better the longer that the game goes on, in a sense. Yep, yep. Um, once the enemy is kind of out of might, um, and if I'm able to, to kind of drain off some of their will as well and get those paralyzers off, then, um, you know, the the ability to, to deal out some serious hurt with um, the two the, the two big hitters um, becomes a lot easier. Well, that's, that's another thing that, that I tend to think when I see a Barrow White is that they, as much as they just sat will... This bell is so powerful. They can just set might as well. Yeah, it's so true. And like often it's just it's the threat of the Barrowite is more than anything that they actually do. Like, you know, it's yep. the threat of having that paralyzed thrown at you that is making your opponent really think about what their big hero is going into, not getting them too um, overexposed um, and keeping them kind of playing conservatively, um, which is fine because that yeah. just means yep. that my two that kind of big hitters you, yeah. can go and munch some troops um, and, and get on with the business. So... Um, yeah, it's an interesting list. Um, obviously, it suffers from, like you're saying, not having the, the Witch King with the, the Harbinger, but um, I kind of like that it it um, has that that little kind of chink in its armour. Um, yeah. It, it forces me to actually really um, think about how I'm using like the pieces like the, the, the Wild Wild Chieftain and, and Birdo. Yeah, you, you're playing a little bit on hard mode, but it's not. It's definitely not impossible. Like you, you'll still get a fell light every other turn, if not every turn, just because you're chucking three at a time. Mm. So it's still very much. It'll still work. It's just that that oh so slightly suboptimal, which which I'm definitely here for. <laughs> uh, we love it. We love it here at the Two Towers. Um, it's uh, it's, and I guess the other thing is like for me, I would have liked a few more orcs in the list, just like a couple, just to have a few more bodies. But it was really a decision between like, you know, I'm not going to give up any um, of the spectres because they're such critical pieces. And the other thing is like they, they've got the blades of the dead as well. So they can, depending on the matchup, actually deal some damage as well. Um, so there's, there's that aspect to it. And the other thing that I wasn't going to give up were the, the WAG riders, just because um, I wanted to have a little bit more mobility and kind of an escort for, for that Wild Wild Chieftain as well. Well, I'm glad you, you brought up two things that I did want to mention. First, we'll go with the, the Wild Riders. So the Wild Wild Chieftain, again, is an infantry, but she moves 10. The Wild Wild, the, the Wild Riders are a great sort of like boon to her. Because they give the knockdown, yeah. where she can just chomp with yeah. six strengths, six attacks, which is insane for a model of her cost. But on top of that, there's also the, the Barrow White Paralyze sort of helps in the same way, right? 
Yeah. Like the the Wild Chieftain is a nuts model, mm. but it can do with a bit of a force multiplier, which which you've got. Yeah, it definitely needs that, and and you're you're exactly right. It's it's um, either the the cavalry charge or the paralyze, and it's it's the threat of having both um, at the same time. You know which which ways are going to go um, that that really helps to keep the opponent on their toes and guessing. And the other thing you mentioned was the fact you wish you had more orcs. I'm just going to like shoehorn this in. I really love the 500 point limit, and we've talked about this before. Because it's it's the the choice of damnations. You can't just have everything. Yeah. You can't have Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, and thirty Rohan Royal Guard. You get one or the other. You know, yeah. you get the three heroes, or you get the twenty infantry. Like, I love the choice that you have to make at five hundred. Yeah, it is. It is my one of my like. I also really love three hundred points because for a variety of different reasons. But five hundred points is great because if exactly what you said, like I agonised over whether I went one barrow wide or two. Um, and the thing with only going one and having a few more bodies on the ground is that well, yeah, that's cool, but only half of that um, group is going to have terror attached to it. So yep. then yeah. my opponent can really pick and choose where they're fighting. Yep, wrap Swing around that me, yeah. and then it's kind of game over because then they're just orcs, right? So um, you know, we talked about this about the the double barrowite, and I think it's it's the the right option in terms of just the versatility in 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 terms of what it gives my orcs but also um, my ability to shut down multiple heroes as yeah well. or just dogpile the one right because one barrow white <laughs> yeah. can't turn off an aragorn in one or two turns that's it two yeah yeah we can yeah, get him yeah exactly exactly force multipliers that's it hey so we haven't even talked about the tournament. Should we, uh, should we give a little bit of a brief overview of what that's all about? Yeah, so we gave a brief little discussion in the intro and, and alluded to the points and all that sort of stuff. But this is um, a little Geelong local tourney. It's called Throw the Dice. It's a championship. Championship, that's yeah. right. So the, the, um, the aim is for it to be run once a year and this is for the, uh, the inaugural Lord of Geelong. Yeah, it's very prestigious. The winner will have their face, I believe, printed and framed <laughs> and hung on the wall. So, oh, no. Oh, um, no. <laughs> you know, you've got you to come dressed in your Sunday best. Um, it's a 500-point tournament. I think we, we talked about that before. 16 players um, and uh, three rounds. Um, I actually think when we jumped up to 16, because it was initially just 12, when we jumped up to 16, I think there might have been a fourth round added. So it's going to be a big day. Big day. Big day. Um, yeah, so huge day. The scenarios are sort of like predetermined. We actually don't know what they are yet. So we can't like tailor to certain certain areas, which which of course is great. Yeah, no, it's it's good that it's there's that element of surprise because they have released all of the um, the lists, right? There's there's another channel. I'm not sure of the name. And, and we should definitely find that out. <laughs> we should definitely be plugging. Um, um, but they're doing the the pre-tournament list review. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, uh, is it um, Callum and uh, Damien? Yeah, time of recording. I think they might have like just gone ahead or just maybe just finished. Yeah, which, um, is, which is why we can't give them a direct yes, plug. Yes. <laughs> um, so the, the lists are, are sort of known to those guys and, and the scenarios I think are getting revealed alongside that. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, this is this is the best sort of the best way to do it. Just plan for everything. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It should be an interesting tournament. Um, I think everyone is just so um, happy to be throwing dice. Yes. Um, it's been so long since we've been able to um, have this many people playing a game together. Um, Look, don't get me wrong, I'm going to be trying to win here. Um, but, oh my God, it's going to be just terrific to have that, that real-life tournament experience again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the store that we're playing at has recently, uh, like midway through COVID, changed location. So now um, they've got a lot more um, capacity um, in the store itself. Previously, it was like they were running in a very small spot. Um, could really only fit kind of three or four tables. Oh, yeah, it got, it got tight. It, it was got very tight. tight. It was bum to bum. Um, and now they're in the new space, so it's going to be great to see um, the, the new store packed out as well, right? Yeah, and I'm pretty keen to see what people have brought, just first of all, list-wise, but I want to see, um, see some cool hobby that's been going in Geelong because it's a pretty new scene. Yeah, a lot of new players, um, some vets, some people that have moved down from Melbourne, like myself. <laughs> maybe one or two, yeah. <laughs> um, which may be a trend to continue. Um, and also some guys uh, making the, the trip down from Melbourne as well. So it should be a pretty cool, diverse group of, um, of players. I think that about covers it for the tournament. So without further ado, I'll uh, pack my case. So it begins. Okay, awesome. So game one of uh, the Lord of the Rings Championship round at uh, Throw the Dice. I'm joined by my appointment, uh, my opponent, Jim. Um, Jim, talk us through what you brought today and what you thought your chances were going into it. Today I brought um, Arvadui and uh, 15 Warriors Barnal with the banner. And then second more band was Malbeth the Seer. A um, few Hobbit archers, some rangers and a few warriors. And then the captain with some warriors and rangers for a total of 38 models. Yeah, lovely little Horde Arnold list. And yeah. you couldn't ask for a more theme matchup for um, round one with Angmar and Arnold on a spooky Arnold table. Um, Mate, so it was a beautiful match. One of the most enjoyable tournament matches I've had. Absolutely, it was. It was great. Um, it was great to see. It was six zero, Rich. Six zero to Jim. Yeah. So um, it was awesome way to start off the tournament. Um, what did you think uh, about the matchup going in, in terms of uh, from a kind of tactics point of view and, and how you stood? Mm. Look, to be honest, I'm always pretty intimidated um, going up against Angmar. I think just the monsters and Wild Wild Chieftain in your list. Um, mm. I think the one thing about Arnor is that I don't really have strong heroes. Um, Arvadur is kind of the strongest and you kind of need to protect him. But I guess the one thing I had working for me was the army bonus with the Fearless Bubble from the yeah. King. Yeah, that so was huge. It was, yeah. So I wanted to play that to my advantage um, and just keep everyone within six of Arvadur and Malbeth and keep them as a centrepiece, protect them. One thing I did think about was that he didn't have a lot of might for heroic moves because of the Wild Wild Chieftain and also that he didn't have strike. So I was like, okay, maybe I can try and get the Wild Wild Chieftain early because I knew you'd want to run him in. Um, but I thought Birda would have done a lot more damage and I think a lot of that came down to just like 
you having some unfortunate roles, but um, I think also just positioning. Like I didn't sure. get I didn't get Birda into the right position to do damage from the get go. Yeah, which just meant that I wasn't putting out as many wounds as I I needed to. Like so the the scenario we were playing was Lords of Battle. So basically, it's the kill count. Um, what's interesting in terms of the way that the armies match up is that the the Malveth, um, kind of fury save uh, still counts as a wound. Yeah. So even though I wasn't, um, you know, making uh, more space on the table when I was killing your guys, I was still at least scoring points for it. But I think ultimately that's kind of the thing that probably hurt me the most was, um, you know, five um, clutch saves, yeah. and yeah. it just means that your battle line was still pretty well intact throughout the whole thing. That's right. Whereas my guys kind of kept on getting taken off, yeah. and you were able to outflank and, and maneuver around it. He made his points back. Um, I think the three things that really worked for me were Melbeth's foresight saves, um, Arvidu's fearless bubble, which yeah. is obviously new to the rules, and also new to the rules, I think, is the hatred Angmar on yeah. most of my guys. So yeah. I was needing kind of threes or fours to wound your orcs. It was really nasty, really yeah. nasty. I, I have to say, when you called me out and you were like, oh, we should do a themed um, matchup in the first round, I was I was in two minds because I was like, yes, we have to do the theme. Yeah. It has to be done. But also, like, it takes away um, a lot of my army's kind of buffs in terms of having that fearless. Yeah, so yeah. it made me have to, to really think um, about how I was positioning things. I think, like I said, Berto wasn't in the right position from the early turns. He, he kind of started to get moving at the end there and he took yeah, out um, Malbeth yeah. but then um, you know I also overextended that Wildlife Chieftain which is something that I do quite often because that 10 inch move yeah, is kind sure. of tasty Easy to but you know she's only what defense 5 yeah. so it goes down pretty easily yeah. Um, and when she, when the terror isn't coming into it, you can just charge her, trap her, no worries. Yeah, I have to say one thing that made me really panic was in the first couple of turns when you got a um, spooky test off on my captain. <laughs> I thought you would have moved him forward and yeah. then throw it combated all yeah. the lads onto my captain. Yeah, and I yeah. thought you would have you would have one shot at him probably. Yeah, and I mean it would have been a roll off because we can fight. That's but, it. That's it. Yeah. And, but even then, like I think exactly that that would that would have been a better play. So. So, um, look, you know, it was a 6-0 six, six uh, win to you in the end. It's a fantastic yep. game. Cannot, cannot begrudge. I mean, the dice gods completely betrayed me. Uh, yes. But, but having said that... You went on the sour on dice. Yeah. <laughs> the Witch King was kind Slightly. of a that you didn't take him. That's so. it. That's it. That's it. All right. We'll wrap it up there. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Cheers. Thanks. G'day. So, Geordie here, just at the end of round one, and I've got my opponent, James Ridgewell. G'day. All righty. So... This was a pretty cool matchup. So you've got, um, I'd just say like an innately themed list going on here. So what have you brought today? So basically I brought Erebor Reclaimed, trying to match the scene where Thorin and company are running out of Erebor into the Battle of the Five Armies. So we've got Thorin as the leader and he's got 17 Iron Hill Dwarves, all with spear and two of them have banners. And then just a lonely Dwalin uh, being a beast <laughs> by yeah. himself. Yeah. Um, and that's really cool. So I like that you've got the double banner. It's like got that inspiring presence type feel. And you can just like stonewall with all those dwarves and banners. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm just going to point out the color scheme. It's really, really cool. So you've got this deep blue and then it contrasts like immediately with the sort of bronze that you've chucked on it. Do you want to tell us about that? So basically what I'm trying, what I tried to do was stick with the Erebor Reclaim sort of theme with the new paint scheme for 
the new Dane model that's coming out. Oh, true, so yeah. So it's going to match up. So I'm going to use these models with the new supplement that's coming out oh, next year. Oh, hell yeah. Yep. Um, and I thought the like the bronzy really contrasts nicely with a dark, deep blue. And I didn't think that it needed any sort of like highlights, just dark on dark. Yep. And Iron Hills being Iron Hills need to be dark. Like, personally, <laughs> I think they need to be dark sort of characters. And yeah, it's yeah. At, the, at the ends of the battle, they're defeated and then the king just comes and demolishes. Oh, yeah. Um, so also, I'm just going to point out the base here. So you've got this cool snow effect. How did you get that going? So the the base is from Zorpazor. Oh, true. The Horselon Prairie. Yeah, they're amazing. I use them for most of my bases. Um, kind of going, once again, leaning back to the new Erebor sort of list. Um, I'm building, currently building a uh, Raven Hill display board, so it's going to be some of them are going to be mixed in with ice and snow. Yeah. So later on there'll be like ice added. So it's basically just some uh, four mil winter tufts, and then the Valhalla Blizzard from Citadel just sprinkled all over it. Oh, sick! Is that just the GW paint? Yeah, just the GW paint. Wow. Um, and that, then a sealer on top. That looks a lot better than I thought. I think yeah. less is more with the, the Valhalla and Blizzard. It just just adds a little bit more. And the more, like, it has a good con contrast with the rock and the dirt. Well, that's it. Like, your, ba your bases um, are pretty dark, and then you've just got that white that just shines through. And it just pops. Yeah. And it pops against the, the Iron Hills, too, because they're also just, like, nice and gloomy. Mm. And then, bam, snow. Um, so, there we go. That's the army sort of out of the way. So, today was uh, round one was Lords of Battle. Uh, and so we had Iron Hills versus Corsairs. What did you think coming into this? So first of all, this is the second time I've ever faced Corsairs, so I didn't really know to what, it, what to expect except for the smoke bombs. I was really concerned about that. Yep. Um, so trying to keep as far away as possible as that whilst maintaining the shield wall. Yep. Um, and then get Thorin and Dwalin at the front and just get them into the kill and then have the shield wall behind them supporting and stopping any other attacks getting to them so trying to pin off one by one yeah yeah and I think he did do that quite well Thorin and Dwalin were the first into combat not only that they got on a hero first turn which was which was very scary um, yeah so you did that really well so you got Thorin and Dwalin into a bosun like turn one of combat I had a few rounds of shooting that did nothing but we'll ignore that bit yeah um, and then I just sort of had Dalamir way off on the flank not doing nothing, um, but you did really well um, in just like plugging gaps with single iron hills. I was con I was extremely concerned about the flank. You did really well there. Like just just kept pivoting away as because iron hills and just movement five with dwarfs in general was just yep. not far. So trying to get as many shots, and that was another concern. The crossbow is just <laughs> shooting constantly into the front line. I'm yep. like, uh, I'm going to lose a fair few before I even get into combat. Um, yeah. And then just just trying to plug that that gap around the corner, and also the horse coming around the flank was really yeah the the really, solo raider yeah he did, he did do well so you had sort of held off pretty okay and I think you were like maybe one for oneing as far as kills go um, but sort of as soon as you lost one or two models it just sort of capitulated didn't it yeah as soon as, soon as I lost the the back flank I had to send the the guys that were support, spear supporting into that flank to hold that, that off so Thorin and Dwalin could still keep killing yep. and it just steamrolled like turn after turn I'd they'd shield 
some of them would survive, some of them die, and then it'd just keep going, keep going, and eventually you got wrapped around the back, and I didn't really have anywhere else to go. So we, we just tried to tie up as much as many heroes as we could and last as long as we could. Yeah, and so I'll, I'll, I'll spoil the ending here. It ended up being 8-0 to the Pirates. We ended up getting the traps that we needed and, and like you said, just sort of snowballed. Um, as soon as like we get one lot of traps, that guy dies and then we get more traps because there's less models. Yeah. Um, but tell me how specifically Thorin and Dwalin did. So Thorin did really well. Uh, he managed to kill... Was it, two heroes in the end or was it yeah. Dwalin that killed he got the bosun I think yep and then um, and then he 1v1'd Raza for a few turns yeah Raza kept on sneaking away and I had to try and find him um, finally getting the kill on a strike with no might left on Raza yep um, and Dwalin just did his job mincing other other troops and just making sure no one could get to Thorin I, I genuinely think Dwalin never failed to win a combat or kill the models he was mm, fighting. Definitely, and having that pl uh, plus one attack, so having four attacks just on the one character is just awesome. It's like it's beefy, and he gets the banner if you ever needed it. Yeah, so there's there's three banners across the board, just because if I if I need to spread out like I did, it'd cover try and cover the whole battlefield. No, good stuff. Well, thanks for that, James, and good luck with the rest of the games. You too, Jordy. Thanks for a great game. Cheers, man. All right, and that's the, the end of round one. Um, so, Lords of Battle, pretty decent scenario to start off with. Nice and basic, just kill each other good. It's a good warm-up round. Yeah. Um, so, good round overall. Good round all overall. Now, I have a confession to make. As I was listening back to the audio uh, of my interview with Jim... Uh, I realised that we completely skimmed over his beautiful army. We we missed one of our main quotas like here. That was two that's, towers. That's like <laughs> the, the pillar of this whole podcast. Um, and I completely missed it. Now, in my defence, uh, I'll put it down to two things. First of all, first game kind of nerves. Um, even though, you know, I got a good stomping from Jim. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And second of all... Uh, Kylie was trying to interrupt us and there are a couple of other people I think midway through Rich, oh, I, yep. Rich was like what was your score what was your <laughs> score and so it kind of threw me off a little bit anyway no excuse honestly um, because um, Jim's Arnold army was uh, for me like the, the best army that I, I saw um, uh, there at the tournament it was fully converted, which is right up my own. Yep, yep. So he, he used the Warriors of Minas Tirith as a base um, and then green stuffed the helmets to have the kind of the bandana wraps. Um, and he was talking to me about, like, the re another reason why I didn't get to it during the interview. Is okay, okay, we, more reasons. We, yeah, more excuses. <laughs> more excuses. <laughs> was because we spent the majority of the game, like, talking to Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, like, every, every, pretty much every model was custom. So, Malbeth was a converted plastic um, Gandalf the Grey. Well, I'm, I'm a little glad that you, you skimmed over it in that interview because now I get to, now I get to join in on the action. Exactly. Yes. Oh, the conversions were sick. I'll let you go through them. So, um, so we had Malbeth with, uh, who was a converted Gandalf, um, which for me, like I was talking to Jim about it, it, it actually, 
I actually like it more than the original Agreed. model. Agreed. Agreed. I think it's because, like, the original model almost looks too regal for what he does on the table. Yeah. Uh, whereas this guy's a little bit disheveled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he had he had the big balding patch and he. <laughs> <laughs> like so much character so and beautifully painted as well and, and where Malbert's got this like robe over a robe over you know a long flowing gown this this guy's just wearing like the one tattered <laughs> the one tattered robe yeah like when you think of a seer that's what I think yep. of right yep. like it's not like this courtly anyway awesome conversion the other really awesome one was um, his Avadui Avadui uh, Avadui um, which was converted from Denethor yes I'm pretty sure yeah 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 um, and so kind of the, the original metal sculpt of Denethor the OG yep um, and he changed the head, obviously, but it just had this like really nice, like he's the king of the north, right? Like it's cold up there. He's going to be rocking <laughs> a mad, like, uh, the full you know, fur, the full that, fur yeah. line coat for sure. Um, and it's kind of cool as well because it, for me, it kind of highlights the, the paradox of the army in that Arvidui's your only hitter, but he's also the primary source of your buff. Mm. So it's that that uh, kind of uh, line between getting him into combat, but he's also a major support piece. Yeah. So having him in the kind of support uh, pose, so to speak, yes. without his sword drawn and kind of yeah, isn't around. he isn't he in a pretty heroic pose? The original Arvidui. The original one's like you know your classic sword out. Yeah. Go over there, lads. We've got this. Um, whereas the Denethor is much more kind of just a bloke in a robe walking yeah. around, you know, giving giving instructions to the troops as opposed to, you know, pointing with a sword. So, very cool conversions. Um, he f- well, there, there's one more that you oh, missed. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and I, I, I love this because the use of the model. Um, so, the, the Gandalf was the grey plastic from the Mighty Moria kit. Mm. He's Arnold Captain. Oh, yes. Based, based it off the model of the Boromir. Yeah. From that kit, which, yeah. if we're being real, isn't a great rendition of Boromir. No, but it's a good pose. But this, it's a good pose. And yeah. he, with the, the head swap and the shield swap and yeah. I think a little bit of green stuff work. Oh, my God. It's oh, the coolest so Arnold good. Captain I've seen. So no offense good. to your guys. <laughs> it's definitely the coolest Arnold Captain there. Um, it was, uh, so those three heroes and then the fact that he had a 38 model list of which I think probably 30 of those were warriors. Each yeah, one yep. was converted. Each one had, um, you know, free hand on the shields as yes, well. Th- th- so, I know a little bit of the behind the scenes. He had shaved down the the shield insignia yeah. and the armor insignia, of course, which yeah. is already pretty good effort. He shaved down the, um, oh, I'm not sure what you call it, like the little um, armor that flows on the legs. Oh, yeah, there is a specific term for it. Am anyway, right? that, yeah. that, that layered the plate leg, stuff. The leg armor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he had shaved that in as well so yeah. that it wasn't rounded. It was like this flat steel yeah. so to make it, to sort of set it apart. And yeah, he, he changed the, the sort of heads and all that sort of stuff. And like it, the conversion alone would have taken longer than, say, painting, oh, essentially. 100%. 100%. So he went, he went balls to the wall on that and it's... I can't believe God damn. But it was, um, and then he was talking to me, apparently he pr- pretty much painted the whole army in two weeks. Um, um, I can vouch. Like, and that for me, when I heard that, I was like, there is no way that I could paint this many models to that high standard, 
Like, I don't do NMM because I'm too scared of it. Uh, but all of his army <laughs> is, is NMM. It's beautifully done. He was saying that his partner, Taylor, also chipped in because he was up until 4.30 the night before. <sighs> the classic. Right? Like, the, the, the only way to truly prep for a tournament. Um, and so, uh, like, you know, she was there on the day as well. And so it was really great to kind of, um, to talk to them both about the, the process and, you know, it was, it was an, and even the bases, like he had this really nice scheme where it was kind of, it was still green, but it wasn't like the, the really vibrant green Mm. of the GW scheme. Like it was really paired back, toned down. Um, and then that was kind of offset with uh, autumn theme base as well. So it had like yep. a little bit of snow, some autumn leaves as well. So it's just all like, you know, everything was considered. And I think for me, that's like, that's the, the mark of a really fantastic army is when you put it down on the table and everything, like it, it all just is seamless. And the, the, the vision from the beginning uh, is there in the final model. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And it's just all singing. Like, yeah, fantastic. Each individual model looks really, really, really good. Then you scan out to the whole army yeah. and they all look really, really, really good yeah. together. It's yeah. it's just, um, yeah, he knocked it out of the park. Yeah, absolutely. Unreal. Absolutely. Um, Jim and I have already talked. We're definitely going to do uh, a rematch. Um just I want to see that army on the table again, <laughs> um, and we're going to do the the Angmar uh, rematch this time. I'm going to probably uh, bring the Witch King, so watch out, Jim. Uh, that bring, was, the, bring the big toys because obviously it wasn't working uh, when when I played him in in the tournament. So maybe we'll we'll, we'll um, go back and, and talk a little bit about round one, um, like. We were talking about it before. Yeah. Uh, oh, before. it's a great segue. Yeah, let's go. Like it. It was. It was. It was the matchup that had to be, like yeah. in terms of the yeah. grudge match. Yeah. Um, but I knew going in, it was it was going to be pretty tough. It's it's so difficult because they're just essentially a hard counter to what you've got going on. The the fearless bubble. Mm. That's mm. just that's game breaking mm. for you. Where where you you're relying on terror to keep your orcs alive. You're relying on the fell light to open up you know, combat some possibilities that just otherwise can't exist. Yeah, yeah. And you don't have a caster, so your fell light is your trick. Well, I had, I, had the, I had the two Barrowites, but... Sorry, compel caster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, no, to move things around. But the Barrowites couldn't roll anything higher than a four all game. So... <laughs> That's their, um, their one job. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, uh, but then, you know, I, I managed to, to try and get Jim to split his force fairly early on, and that allowed me to get a couple of fell lights off. But I actually, you know, in the interview, Jim pointed out, probably misused it in terms of how I was pulling the pieces around. So um, it's, it's a bit of a learning um, experience. But it was such an enjoyable game. Like, throughout the whole game, both Jim and I kind of stopped and just kind of looked at the board a couple of times... I'm like this is sick. This is sick. This yep. is just the perfect kind of perfect way to start a tournament. Um, so, no, it's great. Really enjoyable um, game with Jim. Talk to us a little bit about um, your first round, though, Jody. Um, yeah. So, Pirates versus Iron Hills. I had the I had the um, the strongest version of Dwalin you've ever seen, and the strongest <laughs> version of um, Thorin. Oh, they're pretty good. Yeah, they're quite good, and they're not. Points-wise, they're not overly expensive. I, I think they're 
they're probably correct if only a little under costed and then just a bunch of bunch of iron heels backing them up like i think 10 to 20 uh, 20 ish i think yeah, okay, okay um so still a few numbers then. still still moderate numbers um and we would have talked about this in our like pre-tournament recording, I think, with good matchups and bad matchups. And I'm pretty sure I did say high defense, sort of mid-low numbers. That's good for pirates. Yeah. And it just sort of came to fruition. So, um, so my opponent James sort of smashed into me as as any dwarf could. My shooting was a bit of a whiff, and then I just sort of collapsed the flank that the heroes were in and just sort of spread them right out, and then just ent- entirely consumed like. Four or five dwarf models a turn, mm. like the backstabbers and the reavers, yeah. just shredded. The difference between you know rolling fives by threes and sixes by fours is is astronomical. Huge, huge. So the reavers were actually getting kills on on defense eight models, which mm. Mm. Whew, you don't you don't see that often. But um, but that's what they're there to do in the list, right? Yeah, they're there to stop either terror or to mm. stop insane defense and, mm. and we just chewed them up from the side and then we sort of met in the middle where Thorin and Dwalin were just absolutely pounding face but it was sort of one of those like two models can only be in so many places at once whereas yeah. I've got 30 models you know all hunkered in and yeah I think I think it was just a good matchup and then the scenario sort of played out okay for me. So in the end, uh, were, what was the, the points in the end? Did you, um, obviously you got more kills than him. Did you get any of the other, I can't even remember in the in the scenario, is it leader kills? Yeah, so lose? Lords of Battle, I think still has break and leader. Mm. Um, I did get a leader wound, I believe. I think um, Raza actually like 1v1'd Thorin for a, for a good couple turns. One of those turns, he won the combat, landed two wounds, and Thorin failed, I think, all his fate. Yeah, right. If it wasn't all of them, it was like two of the three and Raza got the wound. So I don't think I doubled his kill tally just because pirates die quick and Thorin and Dwalin just beat face. But I was definitely above him. Um, So, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, good. uh, Good start to the tourney. Absolutely. Um, And let's let's get into round two. All right. So end of game two of the championship tournament at Throw the Dice for Lord of the Rings. Um, I'm joined by my lovely opponent, Mop, who... Uh, Mop, talk, talk us through uh, what you've brought here today. Um, it's just a Rivendell list with uh, Glorfindel and Aristor with, I think it was nine spear shields and six bows and five just regular short swords, just swords. Yeah. So they're all infantry, so Glorfindel's yeah. on foot as well. Um, what did you think of the matchup going in uh, and the scenario? So the scenario was uh, Fog of War. What did you think going into it? Um, a little bit scared because especially it's a good and bad thing that I have two heroes because it means I definitely know who they're going to pick. But then I'm sort of locked into who I have to protect because you definitely went for Aristor very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I went pretty hard pretty early. Um, I think uh, I, I thought as the, the longer that the game went on, the less likely it was going to be that I'd be able to actually kill them because of that higher fight and also having elven blades as well. Um, so I thought if I don't get Aristor down early, then it's going to be quite hard to... Um, to do before we talk any more about the game though i just wanted to point out to the the listeners obviously this is an audio podcast 
podcast, so they can't see. But um, beautiful, uh, beautifully painted army. Um, talk us a little bit about um, how you've painted them uh, and the basing as well. Um, originally, I was going to do sort of like the capes, depending on like what sort of like Fortitude, Valor, or Legend. But then I was sort of like. I, I I liked the green, like I loved the Rohirrim green, mm. and so I was like, elves can be green too. So Absolutely. I, I did, um, most of them green, um, and then any sort of hero is going to have a little bit of blue, mm. and obviously Glorfindel has white. Glorfindel. Absolutely, uh, they look really good, and I like I like the like it's cohesive. In that, like your um, your troops also have a little splash of white in there as well, so kind of it all ties together. And the the basing with the the yellow flowers and the golden armor, I think, works really well as well. Um, so that's really cool. Um, talk me through the the game. Uh, were, there, were there any points um, that you think were like kind of the key pivot moments of the game, or? Uh, definitely uh, getting paralyzed was not a good, uh, good thing to happen. Uh, so there were two, I think there were probably two key ones. Yeah. The, the first one was getting a paralyzed off on your banner and being able to heroic combat into their banner with Birda and take it out first turn of combat. Because for me, like elves and banners, they're, you've got to get rid of them quickly because you don't have. The, the numbers of troops, but if you're getting re-rolls, then I'm kind of, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm at like a disadvantage. Troops, yeah, exactly, exactly. And then the second paralyze that really, I think, probably sealed the deal was getting a paralyze on Aristor um, when the Wildlife Chieftain was in combat um, with him. Um, so, you know, six attacks at strength six is pretty nasty. Not, not being able to defend. That's, although, having said that, I did only manage to do one yeah. wound in that instance, but I'd, I'd softened him up the, the turn before, so he the went down. One of getting a one on a fate roll, which that's right. Throwing salt into the wound. That's it. That's it. That's it. So um, I think those two were the, the kind of the key moments, and then I, my dice were just. Compared to last game, when I couldn't roll a single six, my dice were... I was killing elves every time I won a combat, basically, um, which meant that I, I had the numbers. Um, the terror didn't really come into it. Um, elves usually don't really care about terror that much, I found. No, that's it. So you passed literally... I think there was maybe one fell yeah, light. There was, there was one, yeah, it was one that was... It was one that you put here. Yeah, the spear support. Yeah. I got one spear support that pulled them back. Didn't really matter, but I think, you know, it was just about kind of maximizing combats. Um, And I ended up being able to to take out um, a lot of your force, breaking it um, earlier than I would have expected. Um, And and then being able to, you you know, use my numbers to slingshot onto the terrain piece that I needed to grab. Um, I killed my target, I protected my target, um, and I'd broken you. So it was, uh, in, in the end, it was 12-0, but I do think that um, if it hadn't have been for those, getting those paralyzers off, it would have been a very different game. Because Glorfindel, he put some hurt on Birdo, um, and I was all out of might, so you had the, the higher fight, and I think the longer the game went on, like, you just would have taken more pieces off the board with Glorfindel. Yeah. Encouraged to try and charge Glorfindel. It's not great. It's not great. Do you reckon if, if you played the game again, is there anything that you would have done differently? Um, either put 
Glorfindel on his horse, Asperov. Mm. Yeah, we were talking about that before yeah. we started recording. Either that or um, getting rid of two Rivendell warriors with shield, uh, without just just the swords, and replacing Glorfindel with um, Gilgalad. Yeah, just having that with like that against Birda, because that would be yeah. strength four plus one to wound. Which I think I rolled. That would have killed. I wouldn't have to use the point of might there. I would. I would just. Yeah. Although having said that. Um, the the counter to that is the the paralyzers from the Barrowites become more effective against um, against Gilgalad because he doesn't have the fortify spirit um, to resist on. But he still does have the three wounds. He does, he does, and he puts out a hell of a lot of pain. And he would have just chewed through troops and my heroes alike. So yeah, look, maybe it would have been a, a different game. It wouldn't have made made much of a difference in terms of numbers for you but yeah maybe that just that having that hitting power yeah would take it away awesome well thanks very much for the game good luck in the next round cheers Alrighty, so this is Geordie for the end of round two, and uh, we had a pretty intense game i'm here with my opponent kylie hey <laughs> you may have heard her before uh green dragon represent um so just first of all the theme of your list you've brought um barlin's expedition which i'm yeah. hyped for i love dwarves and i love barlin I like the old school dwarves because, like, it's a bit of a spoiler for what we've got coming on the Green Dragon. But uh, this is okay. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna let that spoiler go now. We're probably gonna be doing uh, Kaz of Doom next as our next kind of yeah. big army list review. So I'm playing Kaz of Doom to get some re-experience and yep, remember yep. what everything does in the list. Get the reps. See yep. how they go. So decided, you know what? 500 points. Barlin works okay at 500 points. Mm. I'm gonna drop him in. Got to take the Floyd because you got Barlin. And I undenied what to do with the remainder of my points, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to defy everyone's expectations and take the Dwarf list up. I oh, know! Kylie's mm, taking a siege engine. Wow. What's happened? She's gone to the dark side. But, yeah. Well, I have to know about it to talk about it. Kylie so. with the siege engine. You just, you've just heard it here, folks. Um, so, on, on top of that, you brought, actually, somewhat left the field with Kazid. You brought a whole bunch of rangers, yeah? Yes. Yes, I have. Rangers and Iron Guard. Yes. Uh, I've got a couple of Kazids in there just to have the auto-pass courage for... Capturing objectives, yep. charging scary yep. stuff. But yeah, mostly um, mostly throwing weapon focus with the long range as well. I've had a lot of experience with the um, rangers, and I just absolutely love playing them. Yeah. They've just got a different feel and play style, and because they've got that pip higher than most skirmish troops, they actually mm. tend to you know, be a, a little bit more durable than most other dwarf armies. Yeah, like the defense five in combat's actually something, rather than... Yes, being yep. horribly garbage. Yeah, um, and then sort of just at the, the color scheme, you've got this real like earthy, grounded sort of brown and gold. Yeah, because I wanted when I started painting them, I wanted a colour scheme that wasn't like anything like any of the other other Yeah, you see that's really, silver and blue and stuff. Yeah. I hadn't really painted bronze and I hadn't really painted um, browns and yellows. So mm. a lot of my dwarves will um, have the bronze armor highlighted with bits of gold and then Yeah, yep. It brings out kind of like a cool effect. And then the brown is highlighted um, with yellow accents. So along all the yeah, dwarves, yep. you'll see there's like these yellow bars on the bottom of their tunics. Yep. The rangers have um, this yellow pattern that goes to this like weird dwarf symbol. Yeah, I saw the, the symbol. That the was of their thing. So a bit of freehanding stuff in there. And yeah, it's just an army that popped once I did it. And I wasn't expecting it to pop as much as it does, but it looks all right. Yeah, it's really cool. The the gold against the brown, just like... Yeah. And I think it's the, the, yellow, the yellow accents is what yep. I believe um, brings a lot out because it draws your focus to certain parts of the model and that's usually where all the gold and the highlights are. Yep. Oh. All right, wicked. So with that aside, so your list was Ballista and a bunch of Rangers and you were yep. versing my Corsairs. 
going into the game. We're playing Fog of War. Yeah. What so did this, you think? I was I was a bit nervous going in. I, I saw the board set up, and then I'm like, oh, Jordy's probably going to double march at me here. So I'm only going to get two, three rounds of shooting. And when you have throwing weapons versus throwing weapons, you have this really weird, like, jostling for position to who can get the good throwing weapon turn on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I really didn't want you to have a good throwing weapon turn because you have... You might not have as good a throwing weapons as I do because I'm hitting on threes and wounding yep. on threes and fours. Yep. You're yep. hitting on fours and fives, wounding yep. on um, fives, fives, yep. fives, sometimes even sixes. So I wanted to make sure I shut down the kind of the on mass throwing weapons yep. uh, into your list. So I probably, in hindsight, didn't do the target priority correctly because I went after throwing weapon um, corsairs mostly, mm. and I think that may have cost me going into the mid game because you had all your heroes up yes in fog of war which probably <laughs> wasn't the right macro decision i was thinking i will i would basically my, my in my head it was bugger the hero kills won't yeah, go yeah, any, yep. any of them won't let my heroes get hurt and then basically going for the break without being broken and hope to predict where you're gonna go with your um models to capture your objective yep, yep. and i incorrectly guessed every single objective <laughs> yep. um you went for and then right at the end you surprised me and did a dash for an objective i'm like oh yeah, oh, yeah. you went deep into my deployment zone and i wasn't expecting you to go that deep yeah so so i'll i'll give you listeners a little insight into what i was thinking so i knew that i was chasing a ballista so I had to go like as far deep as I could. I kind of figured you'd put the blister next to or near that giant ruin at the back, which is what I ended up picking. Yeah. So I thought two birds, one stone. If I need to go that far in, I'll, I'll have that as my objective. Um, the fighting sort of ended up a little in front of that anyway, mm. but I had this little sideways squad going around the side. Um, and that sideways squad was a serious squad because it had Raza and two bosuns in there. And yes. I thought that I could run up to this wall and stall you by getting the defended barrier, but you just went into it. Cut the yeah. walls down that were defending the barrier so fast that I was like, holy crap, I can't defend that point anymore. And then all the dwarves in that area basically had to poof. Yeah, just yep. Mass exited out of that spot because it was, there was no way they could hold it anymore. And then try and some skirmish, which gave you the door to get onto your objective, which yes. in hindsight wasn't the best move. Yeah, me. like I got to my objective though. That was costly, right? Because you were busy on the other flank, right? Yeah, I was trying to mop up a lot of your easier to um, kill dwarves and trying to trying to use the advantages that I had of like um, Floyd being able to lock off, lock out your banner. Yeah. Taking off that banner reroll was, I think, huge. Huge. It, I think it, honestly, those two turns won me the game because when I did manage to get into Raza and because my hero that I wanted to kill was Raza, I was able to go aggressive and, yep. and actually try and take him out because I figured, well, Raz is going to be the one that actually going to come into me and try and pressure yep. me with three attacks and Bane of Kings. Might as well choose him instead of going for one of the easier targets like yep. the Bosons because they're going to be at the back. So that kind of panned out okay. I got very lucky getting the kill on Raza. I managed to yeah. clutch <laughs> reroll twice in a row. Um, with Durin's uh, Durin's Ak and a battle. So reroll. this is this is definitely like a, a little game highlight. So. I had one Corsair, yes. and then I had Raza next to him. You had how many models touching that one Corsair? I had Barlin, two Kazards, and a Dwarf Ranger in contact. Yep, and I did the classic shield, get the six. You did the classic six dice, get nothing. Get nothing. Until... And, and then I'm like, hang on, I got, I got, I got reroll. So I banner, put the banner reroll on one of my basic guys, and took the Turin Dax out. I'm like, come on, yep. one in yep. four, we yep. get this through it and I was like oh my god I got the six got the what six. I thought I had to reset for the next turn because at this point 
Geordie was broken, so there was a chance the game could end. And after we backfilled it and had a look at what the objectives were, yeah. it would have been a draw. It actually would have been a draw, would have been a draw which, which I would have been that, more than happy with. Yeah, uh, if it ended on that first roll. Uh, and we actually, funnily enough, joked about, you know, taking each other out of the tournament by getting a draw. So that would have been an amazing way to end the game, but getting that six, able to consolidate with her combat in well, the Well, even then, that wasn't enough, yeah. right? Yeah, and then... I thought, all right, I've got it. I've got even more dice in this combat against Raza. I picked up another two because I had an Iron Guard in combat yep. with yep. Raza, and I'm like, this is easy. I've got like eight dice. What what could go wrong? Raza rolls a six, Cats and once again, yep. flops my roll. Didn't get a six in there as well. I'm like, all right, banner up, boys. <laughs> Grab my two dice, one for the banner, one for Durin Zack, and once again, through the six, clutching it on the yep. one and four. And yep. I was just like, wow. I can't believe I got that. That was that was wicked. Obviously, I'd have loved for at least Raza to do it. He could have turned around and maybe given Balan a shank. But I mean, three attacks, oh, three rolls. definitely wasn't meant to. <laughs> oh, there's a good chance you could have um, uh, chipped off the two wounds you needed. Mm. Balan was wounded at that point. And then, so from here on, the game actually takes a bit of a downward turn. Yes. Um, classic snowball effect. Um, we're both waiting for the game to end. Um, I'm like, all right, if the game ends, so be it. Um, I'll take what... Yeah, more victory yeah, points I had, yeah. and, and Jordy thought at this point he had lost because I wasn't on. I was on a, an objective, but an it objective. was objective. <laughs> was it my objective? I, I probably should have. In hindsight, I actually picked that ruin. Yeah, yeah. And then crossed it out, Ooh. and then picked a different ruin, and then that's why I went up to Jim and said, "Do you understand what I picked?" Yeah, and he's yeah, like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay, picked this yeah, one because yeah. like it looked a little sus. Yeah. Like so, I made sure I had someone else to verify it. Yeah. Um, and that ended up nearly costing me because I didn't didn't yes. get to that ruin until yeah. very late in the game. Um, and yeah. Yeah, and so like the game had ended and you would just sort of chopped what was left of my army because at this point it was like maybe six models versus 10, 20. Yeah. Um, which is bound to happen, but the game extended for about four turns, I think? I think five. Five, five turns? Six. I think, was, yeah, was, maybe. We had a lot of rolls on it. Yeah. It was, it was kind of really unfair for that to happen to you because I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think you out-strategized me in that game. I think I may have picked you back with like tactical play yeah, like yeah. positioning models yeah. going for traps you know yeah. calling her at combats and strikes in the right spot I think I did that better than you but overall wise the macro the strategic play you definitely yeah. out outdid me in that one yeah so thank you I was, I was definitely interesting happy interesting how the, the tactics yeah. versus strategy worked in that game um, so it went from what, what did we say like a 4 all draw into four a, all draw, like a 6-4 six, six, four, four, hang around at 6-4 into four like a 6-4 again into a 9-3 nine, nine, three, and then finally into a 12-0 um, unfortunate but that's what happens, you know? Sometimes the dice just say, uh, screw you. <laughs> it's big old screw you. You know what? I'm going to give you the Hail Mary. Yep. Yep. No, brilliant. Thanks for that, Kylie. And uh, thanks for having the chat. Yeah. Good You're game. Welcome. So that was round two, uh, Fog of War. It's It's got to be up there with one of my favorite scenarios. Yeah. Yes. As far as the original 12, it's definitely number one. Yeah. All the way. Uh, as far as the, the new six that were in that match play guide, mm. I think there's maybe one or two that hold a candle to it, but I still think Fog of War is just the best just because of the mind games you get to play. Absolutely. You're playing, uh, you're not just playing against the opponent's models, you're playing against the, the player. Yep. Yep. Um, I mean, the, other, the one in the new, uh, the new scenarios that comes close is Assassination, which is essentially Fog of War. Fog of War, but with, scaled down. Exactly. Exactly. So, no, it, it is a, it is a fun, um, uh, matchup. Um, so talk us through uh, your round, Jordy. This this was a tough one. All right. You. So this was the big round. This was the Kylie round. Um, it was bound to happen to one of us. <laughs> so I put my hand up. No. <laughs> um, 
Look, it, it was definitely a, a good game all the way through, as you may have already heard, up until potentially the game not ending, but that's okay. So <laughs> I, I, I loved Kylie's list, full stop, because she was bringing Barlin Kazard. Brilliant. Yeah. Love yeah. Um, Moria, uh, Kingdom of Moria, I should say. Um, and I love the fact that she brought a blister, because I agree. I think... In the Kazard list, the Dwarf Blister is just so important. The dwar- little Dwarf Legs, they're just that little bit too slow. They want to choose their engagements. And having six Dwarfs with a bow, it's kind of not enough on its own. Well, I thought it was... I thought it... Yeah, I, I to- <clears throat> totally agree. We've talked about this before, um, uh, away from the podcast. Um, but I, I thought it was really interesting that she also went with the Dwarf Rangers. Oh, yeah. This this was a real like left of field. And I think it was... I think it was really, really cool because I, I love the models. Yeah, me too. But I've never thought of going full like Ranger build because mm, mm. I'm like, where do they fit in? Because the Khazards want to be like high defense, like their base troop is D7 yeah. and then they go up as far as D9, which is insane. But And especially paired against the Ballista where it's like, come at me, bro. Yeah. You've got to rush my, you know, defense eight, defense nine boys. Well, the, the cool synergy, I'm, I'm going to call it that, even though it's very loose, the cool synergy with the Ballista and the, the Rangers was the Rangers all had throwing weapons. Sure. So you need to just bull rush towards the Ballista. And as soon as you take that one step too far, now she lines up with about 12 throwing axes. Mm. I'm not sure the exact number she had, but there was a few and mm. bows as well in the mix. So you have to bull rush the Ballista or at least bull rush okay. somewhere. Yeah. And because you you have to overextend, right? Yeah. You can't take that extra set, extra second to go all... I'm out of your six, but in your five, you know what I mean? So the synergy there is that, you know, you just go as fast as you can and then she'll throw one or two volleys of axes at you on your way in, which played out a little bit. The ballista definitely did most of the damage. I think it had killed six models before we even connected. And this was one of those unfortunate... You deploy in your back 12 and they're in their back 12. So you have to run the full gauntlet. Yeah. It wasn't the, the yeah. 24 inch yeah, start of the yeah. line. So yeah. we definitely copped it by the ballista. And I think she hit more than missed, but you know, that definitely happens. Mm. Um, but what was, what was sort of cool about it was even once we engaged, you know, it was still anyone's game. Kylie was definitely like in the winning position just because she got to choose where she was going and what she was doing. Mm. But. She was so far away from her objective that mm. if I if I rushed it and got you know the kills and all that sort of stuff and died quick enough, which we did, <laughs> maybe I could still sort of play the objective game. Yeah, yeah. So I had um, sent sort of this little, small, actually larger infantry force on the left side, and then I sent my heroes on the right because mm. she had defense. She was defending a wall. Mm. Attacking walls is like absolute garbage, but I've found. I've done it a few times where I found that heroes or just two attack models, so Reavers as well do the job. Two attacks gets you through the wall because all you need to do is kill the model and you just leap it instantly. Sure. And once you've got one model across, it's game over for everyone else. Yeah. So I sent like my, I think I sent my Bosun and Raza at the wall. They just chopped their way across and just straight over, which Mm. Carly was so surprised. She was like, those walls will hold for... Mm. You know, three or four turns. So I had was this. Was it rangers that were holding the walls, or what? What was defending it? Yeah. So she had her three rangers with the bows. Yeah. They were, you know, popping shots behind the wall, and yeah. then as soon as we tagged them, the, the heroes just 
chop and jumped over yeah, right. and just capitulated that sort of side. Yeah. Um, there was still sort of like this big tree in the way to, to get across to everyone else. But the good news was my objective was right behind that wall. Hey. So we had, yeah, we had, we had cut across that wall. Raza sort of heroic combated across, which this, this move I thought sort of caught Kylie, but at the same time, maybe it was a bit silly because there was sort of a high chance Raza was her target. Yeah. I had heroic combated off one of the wall combats and sent Raza just straight, straight into the middle, um, right into the thick of it. But my plan was to sort of mutually break, you know, so that we could sort of end the scenario because I wanted to end soon. But, yeah, roll that you one. Know. Roll that one on two. <laughs> um, but that way I like, I don't concede three points to where we just each get one. Yeah. So I sort of had to send Raza into the thick of it and try and get as many kills as he could. Sure. Um, again, maybe a bit silly. Maybe I should have thought that he was the target, especially with Flowey on the field, who yeah. counteracts his like fight six yeah. Yeah. for the turn. Flowey's a whole other conversation that we'll have <laughs> another time. <laughs> the, the rules for him, a little bit weird, don't quite fit a game like this I think but that's okay yeah look let's save that yeah. for a deep dive because <laughs> like that that is an interesting point in terms of when rules don't necessarily reflect uh, the law or yes. just reality <laughs> <laughs> yes but we, yeah we won't dwell um, so yeah I'd sort of capitulated that side and sent a bunch of guys I'd, and they sort of came around the side I was holding off this little flank on the right which I think Kylie had sent to block maybe potential objectives that I was going for. Um, and I just sort of shielded all the way across yeah. that end. And I had managed to get um, Captain Boson was was sitting pretty on the objective. Um, and he had had a fellow Reaver beside him who was, I think, at fighting a, a ranger or something. And that was the turn that I... The turn, the turn after I broke. Yeah. So here we go. If the game ends, it was, I believe... I think we said four all in our interview, but I believe it was six all. Yeah. Because okay. they were three each. Um would have been like a six all draw. Yeah. Of course it kept going as you've heard. Um, <laughs> and it sort of kept going and it kept going and it kept going, which is okay. What can you do? Up until I think it was five or six turns. I still had as my sole survivor, my chosen protectorate, Captain Boson. Right. He was still sitting on that objective. He was still fighting Hold off one down. or two dwarves. He just kept going and going and going. Um, but of course, the game also kept going and going and going. <laughs> and just that last turn, you know, she managed to get about seven dwarves surrounding him. And, yeah. and I didn't roll the six. And of course, even if I did, the 50-50, and he got chewed right up. And it was a full tabling. Tough. Tough. And especially, as you say, when, you know, you're playing to essentially try and... Um, you know, finish off the scenario or, or trigger the game end requirements yeah. and the game continue. And at that point, you know, it could have been a draw, could have been a completely different um, outcome. Yeah. It's, it's difficult because assuming the game's going to end the turn after I broke, absolutely, that's sort of a bit, you know, that's a bit too too optimistic. Sure. Like, sure. I would have been happy with the six or don't get me wrong. I wasn't yeah. expecting it, yeah. you know. Expecting it to end the turn after, where I think Raza, uh, Raza went down. So mm. Kylie gets the three points for that because ended up he was the, the her target. Yeah. Still okay. Yeah. And we you managed take that. You take that. We you. managed to hold that like what would have been I think a nine six. Yeah. 
loss. We managed to hold that for two more turns. Yeah. But of course, because it kept going, Kylie had managed to then sneak her her little stumpy dwarf legs. And I guess this is a <laughs> testament to how long it kept going into what was uh, terrain piece on literally the, other the side back of the six yeah. inch of my <laughs> my table edge. So she managed to foot slog five inches a turn to, to the other end. I, I remember uh, kind of witnessing that moment when she revealed that that was her terrain piece and I just kind of quietly slunk away from the table. <laughs> I, was just, I didn't want to, uh, to to make you feel like there was anyone else <laughs> watching. Oh. It, was it, was, it was tough, very tough. But um, ultimately, you know, sometimes it's a dice game and it comes down to the dice at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Hundred um, percent. I think I think me and Carly had a talk afterwards, and and I agree. And I've had this sort of same idea that the the dice rolls should sort of be deteriorating, I guess, mm. as it were. So, mm. and it still leaves you with a random game length, but it 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 sets it up to be, you know, more directed, I guess. So right now, you know, the odds of it going for six turns is quite low. But the odds of an an extra turn, it's still just 33%. Mm. It's, I'm sorry, 66. Like the odds of it to keep going is actually higher than mm. for it to stop sort mm. of thing. Whereas I think if it was to be like you end on a one or two, the first turn, great. The next turn you end on a one through three. Yeah. Then the next turn on a one through four, then on a one through five. I like that. Uh, I like that because it it actually for me it builds the tension more. Yes. Because of exactly what you're saying, it, the the likelihood of the game continuing lessens as yep. the turns progress. Yeah. And therefore, if the turn if if the game does progress, it's like oh, this is Ooh, probably yep. definitely the last turn. I've got to throw everything yes. at it. Yep. As opposed to it being well, like you say, sixty six percent. This just continues. Right, so do I go all in on this turn, knowing yep. that it's probably, you know, next turn is going to be a 50-50? Yeah. Um, so, I totally agree. <clears throat> totally agree. I think that would be a very simple change that would improve uh, the mechanic immensely. Well, that's it. And the, the mechanic's quite far-reaching because it's in, I think it's in like... I think it's like 11 or 12 of the 18 scenarios. Like, it's in a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And it can have such a massive impact. Yeah. Um, like, like you experience, right? Like, yeah, my game aside, that I've definitely had other games that just go, well, if this ended in any sort of normal amount of time, it would have been sort of a good game. Yeah. But then, yeah. It, because it just keeps going and going and going, it ends to that 012, like, with that, that much time after breaking, someone's getting tabled. Totally. And... As, as as bad as tabling itself sort of feels, it's just sort of like, a, you know, you don't deserve it either. And it's also like all of the fire has gone out of the game at that point. Yes. So well, that was that was very true. Yeah. And so as the person that's um, on the so on the other side of the table, it's like, oh, I don't want to really like dig my heel in, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what else am I going to do? Like, you I think know? after after the third ex- the game extension. Kylie was just sort of also just sort of going through the motions of yeah. wiping out my models because I had yeah. like three dudes left, which sort of happens when you're already losing and, the, you know, and you've sort of playing to objectives. So you're mm-hmm. not playing to kill them anymore. You're now just playing to hold off sort of certain things. Yeah. And so Kylie was just like, oh, I guess I'll charge my six models into him. I guess I'll, which of course you do. You have to clean up. But, Absolutely. Yeah. But you, you're exactly right. The fire was gone. Yeah. Like the game didn't, 
matter no, anymore. No, you're just going through the motions. Yeah. You're just going through the motions. But on a, on a more positive note, <laughs> you're round two. How did we well, go? I don't know if it's more positive. So I actually had the, the, in, the, the inverse uh, experience. So I mm. was playing Mop um, and I actually took away a 12-0 victory oh, uh, no. in this round. So um, it, was, it was an interesting matchup. He had uh, Rivendell. Yep. Uh, led by Glorfindel on foot. Very yes. Important. Should have been on Asphaloth. No, Asphaloth. The, the only 12-inch cab in the game? Uh, oh, no, sorry. Uh, Shadowfax. Shadowfax. Yeah. But, you know, with Glorfindel on top, that's pretty nasty. <laughs> pretty mean. Uh, and then he had Aristor. And so it was two warbands, so we both knew I was going for Aristor um, because that yeah. was my only option. This is... This is one of the interesting parts of Fog of War when there's only the, the two heroes mm. and that there's only one selection because that's just a flat six-point swing on the table yep. that you both know about. Yeah, and it kind of, it, it goes against everything that I love about the scenario yes, exactly. of the guessing game. Yep. And so at the end, I was like, oh, well, I was trying to protect that Barrow White. And yep. Mop was like, oh, okay. I yeah, exactly. Didn't even, exactly. And so it was like, yeah, okay. So And then he reveals, oh, I was trying to protect Aristor. <laughs> Oh, oh, shock. Shock horror. Shock horror. That's who I was going for. <laughs> no. What are the odds? What are the odds? Um, so it was interesting. In the game, Mop kind of, he got to quite a good defensive position early on and he had six archers mm. that were all sitting behind a fence and I thought, okay, okay I'm going to have to go to him. Yeah. And so I pushed up. I couldn't charge him that turn, but I thought... I'll push up and I'll um, entice him to charge me by just putting in three models in charge range and see if he takes the bait and oh, runs no. out and charges them. And I was trying to do all kinds of spooky shenanigans, but of course, Courage 5 Courage on the five, yep. And I didn't have any Harbinger or yep. Evil, so, um, you know, it was um, Natural 5. He resisted everything. Right? Oh, yeah. But it, I think it was also partly the psychology of having to take those tests of, mm. I might not always be moving my models myself. Yep. At a certain point, I could fail this. Yeah, yep. yeah. However long. I think he, he only failed one in the whole course of the game and it was completely inconsequential. Yeah, of course. Um, but I thought to myself, like, I'm going to try and entice him to charge me and get, get the yep. lines to clash. Yep. Um, but thinking that probably, because he's got the six archers, I had no bows or anything. Yep. They can just sit there and shoot me for days and I have to come to them. Um, in the end, he did charge me. Um, and he gave up quite a defensive position. Um, and as soon as he came out, I was like, fantastic. Now I can just kind of wrap and trap. Um, mm. First round of combat, uh, he, I got um, a paralyze off on his banner. Oh, okay. That's big. Um, and because his banner was in the center of his line, but I managed to get a heroic combat off with Birder and then straight into the banner. Took down the banner first turn because I didn't want to have oh. any banners... Uh, coming into effect. Right. I was thinking um, you just paralyze it to turn it off for two to three turns. No, I'm like, that's a good move. I just wanted it gone. And the and the heroic combat into the banner meant that I I could charge Aristor next turn. So it was like I'd opened up his lines enough to get to the back where Aristor was. Yeah. And then the next turn I got um, Birder in. I heroic combated the Wild Chieftain in mm. as well. So mm. both of them. Um, they won the combat. I think they whiffed their wound rolls. They got like maybe two wounds um, off on him. Well, he's he's at the very important defense seven, Aristor, isn't he? 
He is, yeah. Yeah. He is. But my two strength six heroes, they, um, they, they're still wounding him on fives, right? Yeah. So, yeah. they got in and, um, yeah, so they did two wins originally and then the following turn, I, I wasn't leaving anything to chance, paralyzed Aristor and then the, yeah. the Wag Chieftain came in and munched. munched. Um, and then after that, because that was kind of the, the center of Mop's line, I was able to kind of get in behind, get traps, wrap into my terrain feature um, and break him in the end as well. Yeah. So it sounds like you had a little bit of control here with the movement. Did did you win a couple important roll-offs as well? Well, there was... I'm trying to think now. I don't think there was... Um, I think there was one... Uh, really key, which probably would be the difference between Mop getting Aristor out. Yeah. And I won that uh, that roll off, yeah. which meant that I could get Birda into into Aristor, and um, and that was kind of game over. Yeah, Glorfindel, yeah, yeah. Glorfindel came in afterwards and started doing some damage to Birda, but um, I had enough models that I could basically um, feed Glorfindel and a couple of orcs a turn. Yeah. And um, I could do that without any risk of breaking. The other thing was because the archers were behind a barricade further up uh, the table, it took them a few, like a couple of extra turns to actually reach combat. Okay, yep. Um, and again, that meant that I had numbers and numbers, yeah. um, which I just, um, you know, managed to... to and I, I was also rolling really well for wounding elves. Like, I was winning the combats because yes. he didn't have any banner um, to do any re-rolls, and then I was killing, um, you know, whether they had shields or not. So Yeah, yeah. Like, the banners get better the, strong, the stronger your fight value is. So elves, I would say, have the best banners in the game. Absolutely. So I guess this is a word to the wise. Keep your keep your elven banners nice and safe. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I think you know if Mop had have stayed in position, um, I wouldn't have been able to get my numbers to bear mm. early on. I probably would be able to run the cav around the back, but it would have been a very different game because psychologically for me, I wouldn't want to be just copying elven arrows to the face. Yeah, that's it's it's interesting that Mop did come out, especially. Obviously, you, you laid some bait out, but as, as someone like sit, chilling behind a wall with bows versus essentially nothing. Yeah, I was in the, in the middle of the open field, just like, please don't kill me. I would, I would be so tempted to maintain that position and then just sort of, you know, bolster it on either side. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 But lessons, lessons learned. It was it was an enjoyable um, uh, match, and Mop is always you know he's a he's a gentleman uh, <laughs> on the table. So um, I had to apologise a number of times with the ludicrous. So compared to the first round where I was rolling nothing higher than a four, yeah, I was rolling consecutive sixes this yeah. round. And One of just, those games, yep, yeah, um, yep, is what it is. And and again, in contrast to your game. Uh, the first uh, turn that we rolled, we rolled a one, oh. and it was game over. So, a nice quick game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, good stuff. On to round three. Final round. All right, so game three, final game of the championship tournament for Throw the Dice. I'm joined by my lovely opponent, Jared. Hey. Jared, how are you? Good. Tired. Yeah, I know. It's been a long day. It's been a day. We're out of uh, match fitness. Um, 
So before we jump into it, talk us through your list, what you've taken and what you thought coming into the, yeah. the game. So I've gone Isengard, um, three warbands, Lurts, a few guys with pikes, a few warriors and two berserkers, then Ubuk with a couple again, warriors and pikes and then a Crabane, and then Malher with six uh, marauders with bows. Mm. Um, so the idea is marauders move fast and can just try and flank. The Crobane is supposed to fly around and flap over people and jump in for some back objectives or, or tie up a, uh, a big hero because they've got four wounds. That's the plan. never goes that way. <laughs> well, talk, talk us through, what did you think when you saw um, Angmar on the other side of the table? Normally, Angmar would be okay, but it's, it's the Spookies. Yeah. And they do a lot of damage just with the, uh, the Paralyze is savage. Um, the Spectres with the light is also yeah, very hurtful. pulling things around and moving them. Yeah, so you get your, I mean, you win priority, get your lines in a decent order, uh, get some nice uh, pike support, get your banner where you want it, and then your banner runs off six inches. So it's um, it gets nasty. distracted and yeah, runs away. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's um, I, I've got to say I was kind of I thought um, your kind of list where you've got a lot of mid tier heroes with only one will. That's like that's what I love seeing on yeah. the other side of the table because the paralyze becomes a lot more effective. Like some of the other heroes that you face, I've faced off today that had more will and resistant to magic, so they can kind of, the paralyzed bounces off them yeah, of a course. little bit more. Yeah. Um, so I was, I thought, yes, this is, this is kind of Absolutely. perfect, right? Um, so uh, before we get into the game, talk us through the army in terms of painting and basing. What have you gone with for your, your force? This was the, first army that I started for Lord of the Rings yeah and they were I'm gonna say the second lot of models that I ever painted for Lord of the Rings back when the release came out when I was a young tacker yeah, obviously, really? obviously the first ones were the Moria Goblins yeah, yeah, yeah they were release number one and then I've got a few others I think Rohan came second yeah uh, and then the Isengard Warriors came out a little bit later I painted them up and they've always been my flavor I think from the first movie, Lurtz is a boss and you yeah. kind of want to see him do some more damage. Yeah. Um, but that's the idea. And then I like to run the Lurtz and Ugluk. Um, Vraska, if I can get him in, and Malher's just there for flexibility. In terms of painting, I keep it pretty simple because... You've got the traditional style, right? Yeah. That movie kind of, movie accurate. Um, and it just looks what it works really well on the table. Like it just looks good as a as an army on the table. Yeah, they all. I mean, once they're all painted, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, they all tie in nice. Um, I've kept them really grimy and dirty because they're uruks and they should be grimy and dirty. I don't. Not to say that anyone else's styles. That's just their style. But when I see bright armor on uruks, it um, it's not my style. I like yeah. to see them dirty, grimy, and. And looking ugly. I'm right there with you. It's like there are certain armies that are so, uh, like Rohan, uh, you know, to not paint them with green cloaks. I kind of, I don't. Maybe it's because like the movies came out when I was young and impressionable, and so I just thought, okay, well that has to be the way that look or you know the, the scouts are, or that's how, um, you know, there's, there's certain kind of movie factions where it's like yep. you just got to paint 
between the lines, right? And also, I think it doesn't help that we've probably seen the movies 30 odd times. <laughs> yeah. So, you, you've seen a Rohan warrior 30 times. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, it. that's what he looks like now. That's, that's it, that's it. There are no other options. No. There are no other options. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the game. So, the, the scenario that we were playing was a, a custom scenario that was cooked up by um, Dickie, uh, who runs Throw the Dice. Um, it was a bit of an interesting kind of mashup of different things. So there's kind of three control zones um, scattered diagonally across the table, and there was kind of victory points for holding them. Um, so you had like a friendly, friendly one, then the central fighting ground, and then the opposition one, and various victory points for kind of having models in each one of those. And then there were two flags, um, and they were kind of on the center line of the board, and only heroes could flip over those flags and activate them. Um, so an interesting um, scenario, which kind of forced you to move around quite a bit and try and get the, the board control happening. Um, what, were your, um, what were your thoughts around um, your forces going into the scenario? First, I, mean, I tried to get most of my force into a big line up for the middle and just contest that middle because that was the uh, two points yeah. so for that zone. Um, and I thought if I can take, take a few of the orcs, a few of the squishier orcs out early, then I might be able to contest that pretty well. Uh, and I was hoping to try and flank with um, the scouts mm. on the side, maybe get a couple of bow shots off, take out a couple of spookies early. Yeah. Uh, and then I tried to fly the Crabane deep, uh, but actually forgot about your spookies for a turn. Yeah. And uh, you dragged him out and minced him. Minced him. That was kind of, so that was the, the opening engagement and um, I was pretty, so I think the first turn he passed my fell light test. Yes. But then the second turn I still managed to get him and he flew, so you kind of saw that I was trying to target him. You flew him to behind your line, but I was still able to pull him out, which allowed me to pile in the Wild Wild Chieftain and Birda and get like a big heroic combat. Um, and you very rightly um, preemptively called strike on Lurts and Ugluk so that I had to really think about going into them. Yeah. And from that point on, I was like, that's perfect because I was just glad to draw that resource that might out Yeah. because you had um, like eight might and I only had five might on the board. Yeah. So I was like, sweet, that's two might down. I didn't go into combat with them, just tried to make as much of an impact in killing as many troops. And I think in that first turn I got the of combat I got the Creebane and then maybe three or four warriors I think it was about four yeah yeah so like it just opened up that that center line that you'd set up um, and allowed me to kind of isolate um, Ugluk and pick him off after a couple of turns and I got a paralyze on Lurts which basically meant that he was out of it doing nothing um, and like paralyze uh, was super effective so took down Lurts, and then I got a, a paralyze off on Malher just as he was starting to crash with the lines and could have been doing a lot of yeah, pain. That was that was the plan. He was um, um, but adding the terror to orcs makes it a bit tricky to get him <coughs> to get him some friends in. Mm. But the plan was to get him on the side, 
three attacks, get a couple of combats off, and maybe he can get into the back yeah. with a couple of friends and, and cause some uh, annoyance for you. And then you might have to take some resources away from the Ugluk and, and Lurch split that you that you managed to do really well in terms of splitting. I had Ugluk and Lurch pretty close together. Yeah. I like to keep them quite close just in case they need some help out. Yeah. Uh, you split them in half and isolated them and, and that was it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a slippery slope from there. I mean, without Lurtz or Ugluk on the on the table, um, you don't have kind of the hitting power to take on um, Berta um, and and the Chieftain as well, really. So they just kind of munched through through troops. And I think if if Malher hadn't have got paralyzed and he had have been able to, he had a heroic combat that he fluffed uh, the first turn that he got into combat. Yeah. And yeah, I think yeah. if that had have gone off, he would have been able to kind of munch through that flank and maybe get around the back and might have been a different. He would game. have opened a hole. Yeah. Um, you still had the barrow right there doing some spooky stuff but it would have been would have been a bit different I again think you would have just come over and committed some resources elsewhere yeah I could have brought it across the Wag Chieftain I mean that's the that's the nice thing about the Wag Chieftain is the 10 inch move you can redeploy it pretty quickly but I think it would the, the troops were pretty thin on the ground um, where Malher was and I was lucky that he didn't get through because that would have been a real headache to try and yeah. to try and fix but in the end, it was 7-2, uh, uh, went my way. Um, it was a very enjoyable way to finish off um, the tournament. It's always a nice nice way to finish off with a, a more casual game Absolutely. at the end of the day. Uh, like, we're in the little, the, the little enclosed room uh, at Throw the Dice, and it sounds like absolute mayhem out, outside. Um, so happy to um, ease into the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for the game. Thanks, Thanks for the chat. Cheers. Cheers. All right, so it's Geordie here at the end of round three. Uh, so we had a, a, an interesting one. So the tournament organizer, Dickie, you'll hear from him in a little bit. He came up with his own little custom scenario, but luckily it's kind of reminiscent of a normal scenario. So there was three sections that were sort of domination style. So one near me, one in the middle, and then one on the opponent's edge. Then there was two objectives that were caption control style but here's the cool twist and this is something that i do like about this one only the leaders could tag and swap it so rather than sort of the usual missions where you have the heroes just in the thick of it fighting like the contest of champions or lords of battle or whatever where the heroes are meant to do the fighting this one's cool because it has a bit of a push pull of whether your heroes are doing the work or whether your heroes are out there scouting the two objectives Luckily, they're kind of close to the middle, so you kind of got the best of both worlds in the end, it turned out, but any other, you know, any other sort of list matchup, maybe that's not the case. Um, so I'm here with my opponent, Ash Young. Yep. Um, and we just had a pretty decent game. It was a bit of a bit of a mashup in the middle. Yeah, big monster mash in the center. <laughs> <laughs> so today you've brought Iron Hills. Yes. And you've brought the Dane variant. So do you want to tell me about the theme that you've got going on? Um, so pretty well, I, I'm pretty fresh to the uh, the whole scene and the game and everything like mm -hmm. that. I, I played with some smaller games, but then I'm a big fan of dwarves. I play a lot of dwarf armies in any game I play. Mm -hmm. um, and I just gravitated towards the dwarves. And Dane is just an amazing model and, and the army's really cool. I'm a big fan of all of it, really. Yeah, you got the biggest and the baddest dwarf around. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you're, the colour scheme you've gone for is just sort of like this silver and then this red on the shields? Yeah, yeah. So I remember looking for the movies and stuff like that. They had a bit of a brown variant 
point, but it, it was too dull, especially against on the armor. Yeah, so true. I pulled up on the red just to make it pop a bit, um, giving their skirts under the chainmail a bit of red, just to give it a bit of color instead of just being a big blob of silver. Yeah, the silver and then the dull brown. All right, yeah. that makes sense actually. So you've you've sort of aimed at the movies. Yeah, I, I've watched the uh, the Dane and uh, Elf scene from Five <laughs> Armies uh, a couple of times through to get his style and inspiration, and then the the uh, the bases themselves, like the terrain ah, and cool, stuff they're yeah. standing on, try to get it close to that, but still have that bit of flair that it actually pops on the table as opposed to being just dirt. Yes, nah, yeah. not nah, very into it. And then moving on to the game that we had, so yeah. given that it was a bit of a custom scenario and a little bit different, mm. what was your thoughts going into it? Um, well, I've always got the, the Goat Riders and Dane, they're always the front line and they're always usually the first to fall, but they can cause some chaos, chaos if they get in there. Mm. Um, so realistically, yeah, get Dane to one of the objectives, flags, hold it. Um, I notice you're going on the right flank at the start, so yep, obviously yep. you got to swing to the left and then I can pull out to the right with Dane. He's got some good movement on his uh, mount, which would beat yours. Yes, yeah. So uh, that's all I had to try to pull off, but uh, failing to remember that Dane, once he kills something, he gets angry and has to fight, so that, I can't get the objectives. That was really cool and actually an interesting part of Dane's rule that never, ever comes up. No, no, especially like, yeah, leaders having to capture the, the objectives. Yeah. You made it rough. Yeah. yeah, which again, I think as far as this scenario goes, I think I like that flair because Dane just wants to be in combat the whole time and this scenario is sort of like, you, you're not allowed it. Yeah, that yeah, idea. Which, yeah. Is, which is really cool. And my guy was just sort of too slow to get to the other side anyway. So. Correct, yeah. Yeah, we just sort of conceded each other's um, capture and control and then just went for a big brawl in the middle. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you had a, a crossbowman that pulled over the side and it was just a mill out. And I was like, oh, I could charge him and take the objective. I'm good. No, a mill. Yeah, Damn it. yeah. And, and I didn't even think about that. So I lucky placement on, <laughs> on that part. Um, so how about the, the big old mash in the middle? What did you think after that first turn where I think I yeah. heroic combated two I, big blobs? Yeah, yeah. I... Um, I knew numbers were going to be an issue with dwarves. That's always going to be a way, but hopefully this, like the uh, the defense will hold them in and they'll just survive and then make some little spots here and there while mm. Dane just smashes as much as he can. Mm. Um, but yeah, once you got surrounded and pinned, it gets rough, very rough. Yeah, yeah, and I think Dane actually did kind of pull his weight right. He would yeah. have chomped 10 models, right? Yeah, and I think at the end of it all, he only got one wound on his boar, and he, he could have kept fighting all day. <laughs> yeah, so at the start of the game, I shot maybe 20-odd bows and arrows into him and just the yep. one wound one on the boar and then that was it for that the rest was it of the game. and he was he was clean yeah all right cool um and any any key moments that you want to discuss um no i think it went yeah. as well as i thought it would go yeah really? cool all yeah. right nice one well all right that's it for round three and i guess we'll hear from the to in just a moment um so round three albert how did you find it uh, it was a fantastic game. I, I was really happy to um, have the matchup with Jared. Uh, Jared um, and I have played a lot of games together. Um, he's a local lad down here. And it's always a pretty relaxed and enjoyable um, time. So I knew that... It, yeah. And, yep. and kind of coming into the end of, end of the day, I was pretty cooked, like, you know, using the big brain. <laughs> big brain um, energy for three games. It, can... <laughs> it really takes it out of you. So... Um, no, and Jared was running his Isengard, which again, like I know what that list does really well because I've yep. played it before myself. Yep. So it wasn't like I had to kind of, it was a, a, a new matchup that I was uncomfortable with. So um, going into it, I was fairly confident that I had the tools in my list to kind of neutralize his tool. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's something about a three-one-one captain that my Barrow Whites just love <laughs> to see. Eating it up, yeah. <laughs> um, 
and um, you know the 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 spooky boys with their fell light. Um, also, you know when you've got eight inch um, marauders, that's great for mobility, but it can also really get you into trouble if that gets pulled forward. Yeah, it's also interesting that as as good as as good as Courage Three is, it is definitely not like good enough. No, when you're mean, versing. Absolutely, especially coming off game two with the elves that just didn't fail a single thing. It was very refreshing. To <laughs> <have> <laughs> the moment you pick up your opponent's models, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> and look, the the um, the game was kind of uh, the opening play where I managed to pull the Cribane forward and heroic combat off that with oh, all my no. big nasties. Um, and they are they courage one? Is that right? I think they're courage two. All right, courage low. But yeah, yeah low enough that I was fairly confident that I could put Damn. it exactly where I wanted to, which meant that I could um, basically heroic combat with Berta, um, some Cav, and some Wag Riders and the Wag Chieftain, and um, that forced Jared to strike up with oh. um, Ugluk and Lurtz for fear of my Also, oh, Berta was in range of them. Yeah, Berta was in range of both. Ooh. So, you know, it's a tough call because I probably would have gone into Ugluk at least yeah. um, to try and just get him off the board in, in one go. Probably wouldn't have gone into Lurtz. Yeah. Because um, I, I would be much less confident in one-shotting him and then I would have my hero in um, a bit of an exposed position. Yep. So I ended up just going fantastic. You know, he had more might than me to begin with um, and I've just drawn two might out. So I'm just going to use this heroic combat to position my heroes where I want them to be on the line so that I've got Birder in between Ugluk and Lurts. Yeah. So that those two can't get together and have a party. Mm, um, that's good. Yeah, and, good play. Yeah. Um, and the Wag Chieftain is basically in a very threatening position to take down Ugluk the following turn. So this this sounds like kind of you've clutched the game quite early because you've you've taken out the Creebane, which is huge in this scenario. Yeah. And then you've managed to bulg two might. Yeah. It, it's good enough bulging one might, which for those who don't know is when you just call a heroic combat and your opponent has to call the counter-strike for fear of getting charged. Yeah. Bogging one might feels good because you've traded one for one but yeah. gained something. You've taken two might oh, was great. and a Creebane off your off Jared. It was it was it felt a little bit too cheeky, especially in the opening um, opening exchange. But um, what what kind of followed that was um, you know, the 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 Barrow Whites got up there, Paralyzers. Um, yes, he rolled above a four. Above, yeah. Rolled above a four. Um, he, I think he managed to resist with Ugluk for one turn, but that didn't totally matter because um, uh, I managed to win the combats anyway. Um, because off that first turret combat, I managed to take down about four or five Uruks in that oh, huge. first turn. Yeah. So again, like, Birdo took down two... Wag Chieftain took down one or two, and then the Cavalry Charge also took down one or two. Um, so uh, he, his numbers were already a little bit thin, um, and um, that combined with uh, the the, um, the Spectres fell lighting people away or plugging up gaps just yeah. meant that... Yeah. He really didn't have the, the the numbers to get into combat with me, which again meant that I could isolate his heroes, take them down piecemeal, and basically break them down piece by piece. Oh, um, 
That sounds like the perfect play against Isengard because they're their troops toe to toe. I reckon like every other lo- like rosters troops, they're happy to one v one in yeah. in their infantry combats. Yeah, but. Uruks just don't fare that well against against heroes. Yeah. So you've yeah. managed to really weight the combats in your favour through that. Yeah. And the Wag Chieftain is such a great combat to uh, um, to an Uruk warrior. You know, we've oh, yeah. got fours. It's got the higher fight, and then it's got ten inches to get around wherever it needs to be. Right? Yep. So yep. Um, the Wag Chieftain did a lot of work. Um, ended up killing. Um, uh, Ugluk and basically that entire flank of troops single-handedly. Um, That's so good to hear because, I mean, it's the whole reason you took it. Yeah. But I love that model. Yeah. And that yeah. profile, it, yeah. it's so cool. Yeah, it's interesting. It's de- it's definitely one that I want to take more because I'm still figuring out how to actually get the most from it Yeah. because I have a real tendency to overexpose. Yeah. Um, and that was the case in the first game of the tournament with Arnor. But um, the 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 end result for the scenario for me was um, basically holding the centre uncontested and then um, my own back objective and one of the flags. So yeah. I basically played that triangle yep. uh, and blocked out the rest of um, Jared's movement. So he had um, uh, the flag captured yep. and he didn't actually have his back objective captured because I'd swung some cav around and forced oh, yeah. him to come out and try and stop me from getting on the objective. Yeah. So again, it was, it was more of a denial play by me. I was never really going to capture it, but it was yep. just about threatening it so that he had to pull some resources away to try and deal with that threat. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And that's, again, that's that cool thing with that scenario is you got to sort of play as much of that, like play it as, as best as you could with the army that you've got. And like you're you're slowish by the the Wild Chieftain, and and you don't want to get entirely separated. Mm. So you've just picked your area and said, "This is mine." And yeah. yeah, and 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 it worked. And the the courage, you know, he, you know, he failed to charge the lines numerous times. So it just meant that he could never actually get his numbers to 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 um to come to bear. So um, it was. It was a really enjoyable game because Jared is, you know, he's fantastic to play against. He's a great opponent um, and, you know, has some paralyzing Lurts without Lurts having done anything yet, really. Yeah. He took it with great, uh, great, um, great gentlemanly um, <laughs> dignity. <laughs> Which I don't know. Which is I, which is hard to do. It's very hard to I do. I would be very indignant at that point. When, when your biggest hitter is kind of birders looming over the top of them and a paralyzed comes out, like that's that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. It, even I this whole time I had thought, and I don't know why, I had thought Lurtz got changed to three three one. But three one one on your leader. Oh my God, he's so susceptible. Tough. He, it's just, yeah, as soon as any magic gets thrown his way, he falls over very, very quickly. Um, there's not much you can do to stop it, especially when it's a paralyze. Yeah, because you have to resist or you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, no, it was, um, that, was, that was definitely tough, but an enjoyable game. Anyway, tell us a little bit about um, your final round. <laughs> yeah, onto, onto a, a nice, happy game as well, actually. So I versed Ash Young. So he's um, a sort of a newbie in the Geelong community. 
He's got a lot of cool armies though. He's been collecting for a little while as far as I'm aware. Yeah. So he's he I know he owns Lake Town, like mm. the the guards of Lake Town. Well, okay, I think so it's not called. The Dale, so Army of Lake Town or Yeah, Army of Lake Town. So he's got he's got Stephen Fry. Yes. Um and yes. all his boys. Yeah, <laughs> um but of course today he brought Dane and a bunch of Iron Hills, which yeah. also a cool army. Yeah. Um And so he had Dane, I think a couple goats, and then this huge like phalanx of I think maybe fifteen to eighteen dwarves. Yeah. Um, and he just had these two crossbows peppering at the back. So I sort of um went to move up on the left sort of flank and wherever Dane went, I just sort of kind of avoided. I potted a whole lot of shots into him and we mm. couldn't get the pig. We got the wound, hey. but of course it's got two. Yeah. Um we never got the second. Wow. Um but once we sort of encroached into the middle I was sort of threatening a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of throwing daggers onto his um, goat riders who we yeah. had put a, a little bit far forward. So his choices was to run away or charge me. Yeah. He's decided to, to throw the goats into, into the pirates and he got a few knockdowns, but when you're versing, when you, he had like three goats versing about 20 pirates. Yeah. They did get chomped pretty quick. Because um, what, def- their defense six or defense five? Yeah, they're just D6, yeah, okay. which sounds for like it's good, yeah, but, for, for <laughs> but for Iron Hills. Yeah. Um, unfortunately for him, one of his goats survived that first round. What that let me do was get this big yeah. heroic combat yeah. off. So Because you got a 40 mil base as well, right? I've got, so yeah, so he had a big base. I had like Dalamir and Raza and a whole yeah. crew yeah. Um, jumped onto the one goat and we just heroic combated and sort of catapulted us like into the middle a bit more. Yeah. So I was able to get like a, a jump early on his um, Iron Hill Dwarves. Mm. And of course, when you've got a Fight 5, or a couple Fight 5, no, sorry. When you've got a Fight 5 model, um, Raza only being Fight 4, but still three attacks, you know, he's fine. Mm. Um, and then just a bunch of, I think I had Reavers in there. Mm. Um, mm. So on the v- sort of first turn that we hit his Phalanx, because he was coming to try and contest the middle, the turn that I had hit his Phalanx, I think I got like two or three Dwarves just with Dalamir. Yeah. His is just consistent killing power, yeah. and I think Raza got one as well. And then the turn after, he had his big blob as closely condensed as he could, and this is where the shield wall kind of worked mm. against him. Oh, really? Because he wanted the D eight, so he had his models in that like three touching yeah. sort of position. Each dwarf was touching another two dwarves. Yeah. That meant he was so clumped. Yeah. And that meant I got the full surround on his whole clump. Traps Guess who's trapped? <laughs> Guess what pirates like? <laughs> Trapping models. Um, so that turn, I reckon I Reaver charged with like three or four of them. And yeah. of course, Dalamir and Raza. Um, a sort of cool thing happened where his um, Iron Hills Chieftain spear supported the model that Dalamir was fighting. Ooh, okay. Which brought fight five yeah, against Dalamir, which was really cool. And I think I lost that combat, potentially took a wound as well. Yeah, right. Um, Huh. Yeah, it's really cool because like a heroes with spears doesn't come up very often. No. And no. this is one of those moments where it actually sort of paid off. Yeah. Because if he put his captain into Dalamir, I'd you know burn a couple mine, do some other shenanigans to make sure I got the kill. But because yeah. it was just a chaff, I'm not going to waste on no. that. So no. yeah, it was it was really cool. Yeah. Um, but sort of unfortunately, everyone got minced. Dane was off tagging the the right objective while this had all happened. So he, the right objective or the right flag? Sorry, the right flag. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so he had spent a turn sort of getting close enough. The turn after he charged, um, I'd already killed five or six dwarves, I think. 
And then um, Dane got his first kill off of a heroic <laughs> combat. Sounds good, right? Um, he then charged into a couple other pirates, smashed them dead pretty easy. I just couldn't stop him. Like, even with Raza choosing Dane as the Serpent's Fang target, it still just didn't seem correct to send all my resources into maybe killing their leader. Yeah. So I still just diverted everyone into just chipping away at the rest of these Iron Hills to get the break, um, to trigger the end game condition. Because mm-hmm. if the game goes indefinitely, I kind of think Dane probably just kills my whole army. Yeah. Like, like piecemeal. The strength five, Burly, he had the knockdown. Oh, it was just painful. Mm. But um, like we already stated, with the stipulations of the, the scenario, Dane kind of wanted to be tagging those left and right flags. Mm. But he had to charge. Mm. And um, there was one point where I put an Arbalester. I think I put him like, it was like 42 mils away from the objective. So he, he couldn't charge and tag. Like I got lucky because I did not plan that properly. <laughs> But his base like was just that yeah, little yeah. mill or two off of, of charging my arbalester and tagging that objective, which could have which could have like ruined everything. Um, yeah. So he just sort of Dane spent the whole time like beating up pirates, but I knew without a doubt that my objective was getting held. Like my yeah. flag, sorry, was was safe, safe as houses. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we chopped up the dwarves. I, I definitely like lost close to breaking, but. Mm. Uh, end game triggered, and I think um, I think we actually went to time, but it was just sort of we were we were playing like quite slow, like each of us was playing slow because we were pretty sapped, yeah. <laughs> and and we were we were just having a lot of lot of t- you know table talk and chatting and sort of yeah. stuff. So it was sounds a re- like an enjoyable way to end, end the day. Though. It was real cruisy, real cruisy end of the game, and Ash was really good. Um, yeah, constantly laughing, and he was just like there for like the cool shit that happened. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah, so cool, cool, cool way to end the tournament. Tonight, we remember those who gave their blood to defend this country. Hail the victorious dead. Okay, thank you so much for coming, guys. That was a, that was a bloody hoot. I really enjoyed that. That was cool. Um, uh, from the very start, like, when we first opened the store, we didn't see, like, Lord of the Rings didn't really have a spot in Geelong. No one really pushed it and stuff. And then when we opened our store, randomly through the doors, Jared came and he's like, oh, has anyone played Lord of the Rings? I was like, oh, yeah, I think there's a couple of people. And then Albert's around the corner, comes in, oh, has anyone played Lord of the Rings? I was like, oh, no, not really. But people start to ask questions. Geordie coming in, he's like, oh, yeah, can we just play some Lord of the Rings? I'm like, yeah, cool, no worries. I think the very first game was Geordie and Albert coming in for the night. Yeah. Albert had to run home. And Possums. Possum was in his roof or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's not a euphemism for anything. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it was an actual possum. Someone was breaking in. Yeah, yeah, my wife was like, someone's breaking into our house. Possums. Yeah. But it was a possum. Um, Happy like, ending. Dude, do you want us to come with you? We've got your back. Like, we're here. And it's like, <laughs> That's when I knew I found my people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was actually a better report, and then we talked about Lord of the Rings after, and Albert left. So. Um, and then we just started growing and growing, and then Nate came along, and then uh, the new guys, Hog and Mock, came along, and then we had James come down from, where, where is it now? Uh, Benalla. Benalla. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Near I, thought Albury. I thought it was Horsham. So, near Albury. Yeah. <laughs> And then Matt came down from Warrnambool as well, and then it just started growing and growing. And the community here now is like seeing this tournament compared to a lot of other tournaments we've been having in store. 
there's so much passion in this hobby, not even just for painting something and just getting it on the table. You guys are like so passionate about this project, it makes people just want to launch into it. And for that, thank you, I applaud you. This is a really good, healthy hobby with beautiful people. And I just wanted to say that before we go into it, okay? So well done, and I think you guys are all beautiful, so. Um, <laughs> coming in third, uh, six was points, 29 battle points. Record is win-win, then a loss at the end. So right third was Nathan Rhodes. Hey. Hey. Yeah. I'll be real good. 
the next time I promise. All right, and here we are with the tournament organizer. All right, so Rich, you run throw the dice. Talk us through um, your idea for the championship tournament today, and a bit about the store as well. What we do at uh, Throw the Dice is that we want to have a store championship at the end of every year for all the like key systems that support us, and um, that's like Infinity, Lord of the Rings. Um, we did 40k yesterday, and we want to do Infinity, but it just didn't work out for Infinity this year. But that's fine. We'll do that maybe early next year. And um, those guys that win those tournaments, we want to put them up on the um, on the wall, so we'll see their face. So we're going to have Matt Wales mug up there. Correct. Right? Yep. For so the whole year. For the whole year. Wow. So and we'll, we'll see his face up there for the whole year. Range. Aha, uh -huh. hmm. No. I don't that know was what a that joke. <laughs> oh, okay, he's no. He's in reach of a text Because he said to us that he'd give it a week before somebody draws a moustache on him. Oh, I'm going to have to watch that, yeah. I'm probably, hopefully not, but by the end of the year, it might have like all sorts of shit on there. But we'll see how we go. So tell us, talk us through a bit about the store. So we've been playing here mm -hmm. for, how long have you been open for now? Uh, so we're a year and a half in the old store, and we started out of a little, you know, a little bit of a shack next door. And then um, we were there for a year and a half, and we've been to the new store now, I think, for around two months coming up three months which is pretty cool and uh, we, we went from 28 meters squared right up to 144 now so it's pretty cool so yeah. it gives, it gives us much it's a lot more better room. it's a lot more room for for the games like we mm. it's not cramped at all like we got we yeah. got space yep. yeah because how many players we had today we had 14 14 we, today we yep. probably could have had a could couple of extra more. yep um, we could have gone up to about once we're in the process right now of making our new custom tables yeah so once our custom tables are done, um, we'll be able to put at least 20 in there, which will be really fun. Um, so yeah, and they'll be like big, so they'll look, they'll look very big, so they'll look like meat hall tables, stuff like that. Awesome. Which will be fun. Awesome. So uh, you mentioned that you've got a couple of uh, non-GW um, system games that you run, and there's obviously Lord of the Rings. What was your thought in terms of the day? Because you did put together a custom scenario at the end there for round three for Correct. us. I, oh, I absolutely love today. It was just fantastic having the Lord of the Rings guys here. It's just a, it's just a totally different feeling. It's not just your normal game, right? It's not, yeah. not just your normal hobby coming in, getting painted for the table. It's not like that at all. It's like so much love, effort, the, the lore, the fluff side of it. People put that into the modeling as well as the game-wise when they're building their armies. They still want to make this whole... It's got a suit theme. It's got to be in character. It's got to be like going on. And it's just so amazing to see because when every single table is filled with these beautifully painted armies mm. that all tell a story and everything going on it's not we're not just here for the game right we're here to um go on an adventure for the whole day to see what epic battles happen and oh it's just fantastic yeah and it, it showed through awesome. with the um l like any good tournament you had a painting sort of best in show type type thing going on it showed through because when you when you walk around we had what 14 players and yep. i reckon there was like five or probably five contenders for, for top spot easily five yep. I reckon. Yeah. and in that voting side of things when we were doing the voting side of stuff it was actually in the form of um so we had uh it was within one point from our winners from yourself albert winning fantastic well done and then Thank we had you. jim straight after you yeah. and then we had um oh, who else was it? had nathan close behind as well with his elves yeah. Yeah. and then yeah. we also had um uh geordie as well you're right up with um on par with nathan as well and then like it was just yeah about five or six armies that were literally all in the same category like all in the same area about to clinch that first spot it was pretty cool and it was just oh just all the ideas coming through like one had really vibrant colors because they were from you know from the shire or something totally different yeah, yeah. Oh, it was fantastic yep. 
Oh, it was good. It was so. a great day. I think everyone, like the atmosphere was great. It, it's mm. probably the first tournament that a lot of people have been to since the lockdown. So I think yes. everyone was just so happy to yeah, be throwing yep. some dice. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's what's next for Throw the Dice? Uh, are you going to try and run a few more tournaments for Lord of the Rings next year, do you reckon? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely in love with it. So running today really made me want to go out and get um, some more done for the system as well, for Lord of the Rings, and get it all done as well, get that all up and running. Um, we also want to do more in the way of um, tournaments for pretty much all the systems that we run now. The ones that, see, where we give a home to a lot of systems that don't really have a home, um, which is really, really cool. We actually absolutely love these systems. It's, this whole tournament's made me want to go home and get my fiefdoms ready <laughs> and also my undead and stuff. So I'm, I'm really, really excited for that. But next year for tournaments, um, we're going to, again, have our store championship next year. And hopefully we have our new tables ready for the 20-player for next year as well, which would be fantastic. And um, But we're definitely, with not as many lockdowns anymore, we can really go ham for... Obviously, we used to have, um, remember the monthlies we used to have? Yeah. Yep, for yep, little yep. one-day monthlies. Um, and we used to have like just a couple of big tournaments as well on the side. So for Lord of the Rings, what we want to plan next year is maybe something much bit bigger as well because we can actually get yeah. our event centre again. Mm. Um, so once we get into the event centre, we're going to probably hopefully put on a 40-player Lord awesome. of the Rings. And I think oh. that will be very fun. 40 is big. Yeah. 40 is very big. Well, the scoring today as well was really fun to do and organise. So as a TO, I, I, it was just fun. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that. Like, how did it all go? Was it pretty smooth, or was there some? No, it, honestly, it was smooth, smooth as hell. Like, um, start of the day, I totally forgot to do the grudge match for um, Albert and. Um, we covered that. We covered that quickly <laughs> for Albert and Arnor. So, um, it's uh, who was a uh, Jim? It was Jim. Jim. Yeah, yeah, Jim. Yeah, Jim. Okay, yeah. so I forgot to do that, but then I went into um, Best Coast Peerings, which we used today, and um, the literally did the swap, lickety split. And we were straight into, it took me like two seconds, and we were straight back on board. So, easy. And it was so easy. The scoring system as well, with scoring things and getting the points, was super, super easy. Keeping it to that 12 scoring system with Lord of the Rings, so smooth. Mm. For a tournament organizer, God, it's nice. Yeah. And yeah. and also, even just doing the custom scenario we made up yesterday, Geordie. Yeah. Like, oh, I loved making that custom scenario for it, because all the, all the rules and directions and what you had to do, right in front of you you just had to build around those mm. scoring points yeah and touching on this because you you had developed that from another game system is that right correct because um, that was it was really cool it had a dynamic where the leader was chasing their objectives I'm sure we've talked about this earlier on um, where the leader is chasing the objectives and that means he's not in combat so you've got this push pull of do I send my big burly you know leader into combat or do I go for those points it was really cool correct and it's we want I wanted to do that scenario because I'm um, see, I've got a big War Machine Hordes background. I really love the way they do scenario play. Mm. And with Lord of the Rings, how easy you can do, as long as you've got the point system factoring into where it points and where it scores every um, yep. at the end of the game. And all, all you you're chasing is 12. Like, yeah, exactly. So it's nice and But the nice scenario with, like, setting up those three scenarios and the flags on the side, it really makes you decide on, okay, what heroes am I going out, dedicating to these other flip flip tokens and which ones are actually at the solid combat winning those important fights really got to decide what you want to do and then if those heroes are also going off to the side with less protection they're now more susceptible to pull other units away from the main mob to go and kill them get the other points striking out that leader as well trying to get those points you can double up and get all sorts of stuff going on so 
Yeah, um, it was it was awesome. It was actually my favourite scenario that I played today. So oh, it, was, it was really cool. Um, that's, that's in competition with Fog of War. So I know, and yeah. that's that's always one of my top scenarios. Yeah. So it was good Same. because it really it really um, made you um, think about what you were doing and and fighting a combat in quite a yeah. different way. Um, so I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. But I think this is a good um, kind of intro for all the Melbourne folk who perhaps weren't aware that there is a. A scene down in Geelong, alive and kicking. So um, hopefully sure. next year when we put on a few more tournaments and one day as we'll get um, some more people coming down from Melbourne and mixing it up. Yes, yep. please. That yep. sounds fantastic. Get the big names in. Yeah. Well, we had a big name today. We had a big we? name today. Oh, she's yeah. just a world champ. No, don't <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely hoping for more next year for some, especially getting our monthlies back on track and getting people keen for games and getting into the hobby more. But also, yeah, be watching out for maybe one or even two big ones for us next year. Awesome. So, we did. Thank thanks you, Richard. very much, Rich. Cheers. Thank you. Alrighty, so we're both here with the tournament winner. Matt, congratulations. Thank you, boys. Cheers. Must be a fantastic feeling. Talk us through uh, the very long list of models that you brought with you today. <laughs> yeah, so five models. Uh, simply the Witch King with four eights. And just uh, three might on the Witch King, two fate, 17 will, and then four identical race at two might, uh, eight will, two fate. Nice one. Now... Just, just for context, these are the Black Riders from the Legendary Legion, yep, right? That's right. Yep. Very good. And uh, I mean, did you know that they were going to stomp so hard before you came here today? Like, you know, obviously it's a bit of an unknown quantity because there haven't been a lot of games since that supplement was released. Mm. Um, did you get any practice matches in? Uh, I got two practice matches in, but I lost both of the two, so both of the games. Uh, I knew I'd do all right at 500 points because there's not a lot that's going to deal with that much magic. Um, but then looking at the matchups today, I was not confident. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, that list, because it's with the quad, uh, the additional Terror Bubble, you're actually pretty good against Hordes, but then at this points level, you're only versing like one or two big boys, right? So you're kind of yeah. actually good against them as well. Mm, yeah, and I was bringing down, you know, regular three, four courage down to one and twos, which makes a hell of a lot of difference. Uh, and just, you know, being uh, you know that terrifying as such, it makes it hard to be charged. So, yeah. What was the toughest matchup that you came up against? Oh, against the elves. Man, shooting. Shooting uh, killed me. I lost three horses in the first turn, uh, and that really reduces my mobility and the range of my spells in uh, technically as well. So that was really tough. And everything was against me. You know, he's fight five plus the elven blades so and the blade lords. Um, yeah, that's it. Normally you, your rates can just toe-to-toe all the that, chaff. That's right. But now, now I have to one-on-one -on -one at my best chance, kind of, in, you know, bring in a horse or anything like that. So, yeah, it was tough. It was really, really tough against the elves, but I just had to push forward, smash in. And the elven clogs as well makes a huge difference for my magic. Yeah, so right. I had so everything against me. Yeah, everything so against instead me. Instead of the 12-inch range, you have to be rocking have six. Have to be right in. So I just pushed yeah. forward with heroic marching. I was just pushing right in the face and then just going to work then. So, yeah, tough. Tough. How does it feel to be a champ? My first, <laughs> my first tournament win. Hey. Uh, I've played, probably played competitively in the scene for about four or five years now. Um, just taken whatever list I felt like. I had, you know, I came second with Rohan last year, uh, the year before when we could play. This is my first tournament win, and um, yeah, all hero seems to be, I guess, my thing because I did all hero Rohan and all hero now. So I guess the least models I have to worry about, the better I play. <laughs> It's a theme for life. I mean, I, 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 I fucking struggled keeping track of um, the guys that I had, and I, and I didn't even have that many resources. I mean, how did you go in terms of the managing 
um, the will output. Um, what was? How did you actually track it? Did you have uh, your models numbered? Or yeah, so or? I've got them all numbered uh, on their bases, specifically you know for this kind of thing. Um, and then look, tracking was still hard. I'd sometimes go, oh, have I moved that one? And you're making sure you know, move that one. Oh, that guy's hiding there because they all look the same on the board. So you really got to be onto it so that you're positioning in the right place. And you know, you're casting the right with the right guys, leaving in the right place, that kind of thing. So it's only five miles to worry so you about. Were, you were versing your opponent, and then you were versing your little bookkeeping self. Correct. Yep. That's right. Yep. That's right. Because you, you know, you accidentally throw a spell from the wrong one, and all of a sudden, you know, you could be at, at risk of having no magic left on that one, or whatever it might be. Good thing it was only five and not the full nine then. Correct. I look forward to playing the full nine one day. That negative three courage. Oh. Ouch. <laughs> Keep yeah. that away from me. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. But um, yeah. Very good. Well, I think that's everything that we uh, need to cover. Yep. I think that'll cover it. Nice one, Matt. Thanks, boys. Cheers. Congratulations Stop. again. Thanks. So you've just heard from Matt there. Um, fantastic uh, result for Maddie. He came all the way from Warrnambool um, for for the day. Although I'll say he wasn't the person that travelled the furthest. No, James. Yeah, from Benalla. <laughs> Benalla, I in my head he was an hour or two away. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> Marathon. Marathon. <laughs> and look, you know, credit where credit's due. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked here. The uh the Black Rider Legendary Legion. Geordie, did you think it had the legs to take our top spot? <sighs> I I actually didn't. Um I, I I'm very I'm very impressed with Matt, first of all. I had um I had a pracky game with him, and I think, I think that might have been like the trigger where he, he he flipped the switch and figured out what they can do, because that's where he picked up in, in Still Fear. Uh, he hadn't been using that, and against me, he yeah. he used it and just like scattered me over and over and over again. Board control. So I think maybe maybe knowing that he was gone into sort of following that, he definitely had a chance. I'm I'm still like really impressed that he did it. I think the Black Riders Legion in my head, just doesn't have the kill capacity mm. Mm. To, to take some of these, well, most of the sort of scenarios we all thought we were going to come up against. Yeah. It's interesting because I thought at 500 points, you're not going to get enough on the board with enough will and enough hitting power to yep. do the job. But apparently you do. Yeah. Um, and having played against, uh, you know, I, I've had fairly limited experience against Instill Fear as a, as a spell. I've only experienced it once, very poorly, against Sauron. And ever since then, I have the utmost respect for what that spell can do. Well, I think in this Legion specifically, it's just even... It's like twice as good. Yeah. Because you've got the Neg 2 Terror instead of Neg 1. So my, my in our practice game, my pirates were Courage 1. Yeah. And what's the, the, the fail rate on that? Oh, sorry, the pass rate on that's like in the 10%, I think. No. Um, but Courage 2, the pass rate's like 75. Uh, yeah. The fail rate's 75%, so the pass rate's 25%. So it's, it's such a big jump. Yeah. Like, it's such a big jump. So I think, yeah, he must have really leveraged his spells and just like fighting as minimal combats as he can because mm. because a, a nazgul on horse on the charge that can kill a model mm. but it can't kill like eight models so he must have been really leveraging that really well yeah it is interesting the fact that the the legion foregoes the is it the will of evil right? yeah they, they lose yep. the will at the end of each combat which i yep. think is it's 
Yeah, it's kind of they they probably had to do it, but it doesn't sit entirely well because that's their thing. Yeah, I I agree with this, and I've I've gone on many rants. I won't go too hard here. The losing the will of evil, which I would consider like a Nazgul's like, you know that identifies them, that like defines them to me. I I would have gone like a different round and just gone. Look, they all get plus five will, Mm. and that that sort of like free hands you like handballs you like five free combats sort of thing. Like mm. I think getting rid of the will of evil full stop, it, it feels bad. Mm. Yeah. I'm not sure if adding more will, um, Oh yeah. Maybe, look, maybe there's a way, like if they lose the combat, then they lose a will, but if, yeah, they, if yeah. they win the combat, so then you're having to kind of maximize when they actually go in. Yeah. That's cool. They get um, the sort of night of Umba. Yeah, exactly. Sort of special rule, which, you know, that totally works. Like, yeah. I yeah. think that's a reasonable fix. Because it does just mean that you don't necessarily... There's no drawbacks to, to getting them in. And yeah. so... Um, but, you know... But, yeah, like, I'm sure they playtested it and all that sort of stuff. And maybe this was the only way to make it happen. Because you do just have five models. Yeah, it's true. And, like, in, in, in like, a Mordor list, you can send your orcs into combat while, you know, the Witch King's casting one or two spells and then hitting the key combat and then running away. Mm. I guess this Legion just never has that option. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Look, it was it was really interesting. I'm I'm glad that an interesting list took out the day yes. as well. Yep. Um it, let's just talk a little bit about the um the top three. So obviously you had Matt with the uh, the Black Riders Legendary Legion. Uh second was Yes, Kylie got second place. Um I think uh, my, by memory, it was just a single point yeah. between top two, yeah. which is which is pretty cool. Three points um, uh, between all three, so it was thirty oh, points, yeah. twenty nine, and then I think either twenty eight or maybe twenty seven for um, Nathan in third. How place. good! Such a so, such a tight race. Very tight. Um, so Kylie got second with her um, her Kingdom of Moria mm. dwarf ranger focus again, really interesting and really cool. And then third place. So third place with Nat was um, Nathan Rhodes, a yep. uh, local yep. lad, and he was running Mirkwood Rangers. So we didn't talk about Nathan's army, but it was it was a really lovely looking army. It was sort of that whole like where the Mirkwood Rangers blend into their bases yeah. type thing. Yeah. And he had this really cool um, con- a conversion or potentially three D print. I think it was a three D print. Yep. Yeah. Um, where he had this like elf with a with a bird on a on yeah. a on their arm. I, I'm not sure if it's a girl or boy uh, model. Um, they had this elf with a with a bird on their arm, and that was their sentinel. Yeah. And it was really cool because in my head he's just like you know whispering something to this hawk, and then the hawk flies off and and so messes good. around with somebody, and then forces them to go away. It just has this really cool like imagery uh, for me especially because it aesthetically really fit in with the Mirkwood Rangers whereas the uh, mm. GW Sentinels fit the old kind of Lothlorien um, yep. aesthetic and so they don't really mash up very well between the Rangers yeah um, so that was really cool uh, all of his bases were 3D printed as well and they all had like funky mushrooms yeah like mushrooms that's what I was rem- um, remembering and I think his Tauriel was um, a proxy as well. But again, yep. a very, you know, a very respectable 3D print. And the, the whole army was painted really nicely. Um, Nathan always does. Um, the thing I really like about Nathan is he always has great attention to detail on the bases. Yeah, I think his bases, I think he might have put as much effort. Yeah. And then this is a testament. I think he put as much effort into the bases as he did the models, which... Yeah. 
which yeah. is really cool to see. Yeah, no, it was really cool. I wouldn't have liked to have played against him with my list, um, given that they've all got elven cloaks and none of my things would have been able to see them. And, yes. And given the tactics that he employed on the day of uh, Runaway and Pew Pew. Um, yes. There and you know my my list is pretty slow, so I'm kind of glad I didn't didn't come up against it. Um, yeah, uh, like I'm not surprised a Merkwood Rangers list made top three, but in saying that, it's still a finesse army, and I wouldn't I also wouldn't be surprised if it made bottom three. You know, yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. So props to Nathan for for pulling that off. Like I think he might have had twenty, he had upwards of twenty models, I think, and of course they've all got bows. Mm. But they're all defense three. Mm. You can flop that really, really poorly if you if you stuff it up. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, great efforts all round. Um, it was yeah, like you said, it was really great to see um, you know very tight com- competition at the end um, there. Um, so yeah, it was real tight competition at the top. But I think regardless of whether you podiumed, I think. It was just a really good day, right? Yeah, yeah. It had. It's interesting. We were talking to um, uh, to Dicky, and he was uh, comparing the day before where yes. he had the 40k <laughs> tournament in the store versus us, and they had less people in the 40k tournament, but it was a lot louder. And he was saying just the the vibe and the atmosphere of having the Lord of the Rings crew um, was really great, and I completely having not gone to the, the <laughs> tournament the day before. But I can definitely attest to the fact that um, it was a fantastic vibe uh, on the day. And it was just, it was a, it was good to have um, that many people uh, playing as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so, it, it was cool to have a Geelong local comp still rock 14 players, which, which yeah. is definitely a legitimate tournament. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. I think Lord of the Rings players go into their games... Uh, not to throw shade at everyone else, I'm sure they're all really great too. Just through my no, experience, all right, throw shade, forty k. Come on, guys, lift your game. Um, <laughs> Lord of the Rings players, I think, go into the game with healthy competition in mind. Yeah, you're wanting to win, but cool shit happening yeah. takes precedent. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's sort of like the, our our point of difference is with heroes having so varied abilities and so many different abilities and like having such an effect on the game that heroes tend to do cool shit. They do, but it's not like a hero does cool shit and they'll take off half your models. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a cool thing where, you know, Merry will throw a rock and he'll like, you know, take a wound off another hero. It's like, what? That That's not supposed to happen, you know? Or, um, you know, just corner case things where, I mean, the amount of times where there's like a clutch, I've got to jump over this wall and it's yeah. like, you know, Aragorn steps, uh, trips, stumbles and falls over, you know. And that's the kind of thing where you look at your opponent and it's not about the competition at that yeah, point. Yeah. It's about it's like, oh, man. You're like, what and, are the odds? And then counter to that is when, like, just the regular run-of-the-mill orc well punches, like, punches well above his weight. Like, you've got that orc who fought off Aragorn for three turns yeah. or, yeah. or you know, you had that, that Uruk-hai who managed to, like, put the final blow on Aragorn despite... Him having like three spear supports and stuff yeah. like that. Well, that's like in—I didn't mention it, but in my game with Jared, um, Lurtz was trans. Uh, Lurtz was um, paralyzed, and he had a little berserker bodyguard with him. Oh yeah. He like ma- basically forced two might from Birder over the course of a couple oh, of turns. Oh yes. Because 
because like without that I was going to lose the combat and I needed to get Lurts down before he recovered so it was like this berserker like he got stomped in the end right but but he, but he like held up this troll for I think it was nearly three turns that he did it for that's so. it and 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 we've remembered these things and this is what the game like this is why the game was important it wasn't that oh yes I got the 9-3 win oh yes I'm so good it's that berserker who took on Burda yeah. and kind of came out with the moral victory, right? <laughs> That's it. Nobody expected him. Yeah. So, no, it was it was a really enjoyable day and, um, you know, throw the dice. Um, Dickie does a really great job of making people feel very welcome and creating, like, a space that just makes gaming kind of a joy and a spectacle. Um and you know the the um, the space is set up so that everyone's pretty much in the same space and they can yep. all kind of yep. interact and engage. So um, if there's any folks in Melbourne that are looking for some fun uh, tournament times, there should be um, some more tournaments down this way, and um, you know the more the merrier. <laughs> so congratulations to one of the two towers. We have uh, the best painted. Thank Help you it. very much. Thank you very much. It was, by all accounts, a very tightly contested spot. Um, and, you know, as we were talking to Rich before, there was there was so many great um, armies on display. Mm. I, mm. I didn't think that I um, really stood a chance against, especially against Jim's army. Um, yes. Just like, so, you know, I had a fair few conversions, but he converted every model. 100% conversion. Um, and, like, just knowing the amount of effort that went into it, um, I think that he, he was he was very much um, a worthy contender. Um, I'm very, very uh, honoured. I certainly don't think that this will be a, a trend to continue on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. There's, there's actually something interesting, and I'm glad you brought it up, because, you know, how long have you had those Angmar, like... For a long while, right? Yeah, quite a while. Yeah. It, I, there's something that I've noticed as well. Like when you see your army on repeat day and day out, mm. you get used to it and you go, oh yeah, that's just sort of how that looks. But I think what, what, because I was also shocked when you won, no offense. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone was but what was what was interesting is you remember like people are seeing that for the first time. Yeah. And so for the very first time they're seeing the, the, bright blue pops against that grizzly yeah. sort of dark colour that the orcs are bringing, which obviously looked good enough to win. Absolutely. Must must have. Must have. And uh, you got a pretty terrific prize, I, I must say. For this, this, is, this was the best prize you could possibly ask for. I don't know if Rich even realised what he was doing before he handed it over. No. Um, <laughs> but... So the prize for best painted was a, a learn, learn to paint set from Reaper Miniatures. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's a really great set that comes with like, you know, three bendy plastic models and, mm. you know, 10, 10 paints. Admittedly, it is actually kind of cool because um, it, it does make a good travel paint kit. Um, it's a, the, the, there's two, there's, because obviously... First of all, it's very funny to give the best <laughs> hobbyist a beginner's kit. But on the flip side, it's a genuine good prize because yeah. you can use that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, it is really cool because it, so it, it comes in a case that has like foam inserts to, to put, uh, you know, upwards of kind of 40 or 50 paints in there. So, you know, as a, 
as a middling to, you know, novice level painter. I've got all of the paints to put in there already. Um, and it's actually kind of cool um, to, to be able to, to kind of pack that hobby kit up and, and maybe take that into, into the store and, and get my hobby on um, one night. Mm, maybe, maybe you can get some tips while you're at it. Absolutely. I mean, as I'll a beginner, be, I'll be asking everyone, everyone <laughs> and sundry. Um, hopefully, uh, when we talked about, you know, a new power is rising, uh, this, this trend of domination. This is what we were talking about. That's, that's right. We need to win Foreshadowing. those competitions. Foreshadowing. Yeah, we'll slowly take over every uh, Best Painted Award um, as long as Jeremy, uh, Jeremy <laughs> Thomas Bowman, yeah, and Dre. Right. Yeah, as long as they don't as end up. As long as they don't, <laughs> they, they don't turn up, then we're really a shoo-in. <laughs> oh, good stuff. So that about wraps it up for the uh, tournament, the Lord of the Rings the, Championship. That's right, Throw to the Dice Championship for Lord of the Rings, yep. Um, be sure to check our Instagram page, the Two Towers Podcast. I will be posting up a photo of Matt Whale's face on the wall <laughs> just so that people know that that is actually a thing. And that uh, is cemented there for a full year. For a full year. Uh, <sighs> He's going to be lording it over me too. Every time. Every time. <laughs> No, couldn't uh, couldn't wish it on a better person. Um, it was um, it was fantastic. So, uh, next tournament that we've got coming up, Geordie. Yeah, on the horizons, I've booked into Minimize, which I think is on the fourth of next month. Mm. Um, it, this is a cool tournament, and I think um, I think it's been on the Ed Move before. But for those who haven't heard it, um, it's a three hundred point tournament. Yes. This is as small as you can get and the game still makes sense. Mm. Um, so it's really, really, it's a really interesting points level because like you can still have a big hero do lots of work because there's yeah. so few models. Yeah. But you can also just sort of have 30 models where your opponents are a rock and five. Yeah. Like it's this obscure points level where the craziest stuff can happen and it's just, look, it's a little bit swinging because it's so short and like one good dice roll can just like seal the deal. But at the same time, there's still like opportunities for you to actually like sort of gain those advantages mm. all throughout. It's just the, it's really really cool. And so it's run by David Leonard, um, and he really emphasises theme, mm. which we're all about here. Um, so you'll come with like your your like the story written down for your whole army, which hopefully everyone else does. It's sort of like yeah and. I think this year he's even going next level where all the players are writing their own player oh. profile. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that in the player pack. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it, but you will definitely be representing um, the Two Towers uh, podcast. Um, don't reveal it yet, but have you got an idea of the list that you're going to run? I not only have an idea, it is already <laughs> painted. <laughs> We're ready. Delivered. <laughs> If I were to go, I also have an idea. I think it is perhaps the least competitive list you could ever conceive of, but it has a cool kind of um, angle to it All as right. well. My, so. my, my intuition saying six Barrow Whites. <laughs> yeah? No, On the money? <laughs> no. No. Many, many more models than that. <laughs> many, many more models than that. Oh, yeah. good stuff. Well, with that, I guess we'll, we'll sign off. Join us next time to listen to our ramblings. Uh, have fun hobbying and have fun gaming. Mm-hmm.